And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. Now, here's my idea. Ba-ba-ba-ba. 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 Now, as I'm doing it, smiles right away on the faces of David Levy, the producer, and Al Simon, president, and Harry Broar, who's an assistant to Al Simon. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious. Anyway, well, I said, my idea is to iris in like an old-time movie on the family, and first we'll have the family... Da, 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 da. See, but it has to be done electronically, what we call a click track. Well, the director, Sidney Lanfield, he uh, he didn't know from click track. He said, look, Vic, you wrote it, you said it. Why don't you, you just do it? Well, that's what I did. I directed the main title on camera. I did the cast, then uh, Gomez, John Aston, then Carolyn Jones, Jackie Coogan, Ted Cassidy, the kids. I did it. Da, 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 da. I did it's clicking my ear. Ba, 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 ba. And I said to Carolyn and John, be like, like a days ago. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. That did it. Well, overnight it becomes a smile. Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell. And I'm Langley West. And you are here for episode 139. Wow. Just climbing. climbing I know, I know. And we, today, we have a guest. <laughs> yes, we and do. And a topic. Um, the guest, it's amazing how long I've known this guy. Uh, he's a musician, a producer, arranger, he's a permaculturalist, and he's a martial artist. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that shit in a minute. Um, you may know his name from bands such as Christian Death, Mephisto Waltz, Shadow Project, Faith in the Muse, and most recently a band called Bellwether Syndicate. And uh, it's William Faith. William Faith, welcome to the show. Thank you, folks. We are going to sit and talk a little bit with William, and then we're going to talk about film scores and film soundtracks. Because there's a difference, right? And uh, and are we talking about them in general, as in what makes a good film score? Well, I got a plan. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> which is always dangerous. Um, yeah, but first we want to talk with William about about William. Yeah, absolutely, um, dude. You are uh, one of those guys who seemingly does everything. Seemingly. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a bit about about you. Like, where did you grow? We always ask about childhood because yeah. it just seems like a good place to start. Tell me about you, about young William growing up. Were, were you a big nerd? Were you a film guy? Were you always in the you know woodshedding with a guitar? Were you none of these things? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I guess you could say I was all of those things uh, if you stretch it out on a timeline. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles. And uh, my mother is from Colombia. 
my dad's from North Dakota, so you can kind of figure out the rest of the synthesis from there. But um, growing up, going to school in Los Angeles, I uh, both parents worked, came home from school, and had the TV nanny. So, uh, you know, first thing I can remember really glomming onto is the, uh, you know, the late 60s Batman series. That was the first thing that there you go. Yeah. Uh, kind of pulled me out, and uh, that was my first obsession. And uh, so Batman, Green Hornet, and the like, and Saturday morning cartoons, and all the rest of it. So uh, then going to, uh, I think, three years of Catholic school and one year of military boarding school, mm-hmm. kind of. The, the rest followed on from there. Uh, for, the, for those that uh, knew what I looked like in the uh, Christian Death Shadow Project, Mephisto Waltz, Faith in the Muse days, I would kind of motion to myself in full glory and say, any questions? <laughs> um, so, um, you know, from there, the, uh, the normal you know, high school rebellious sort of thing, uh, picked up a guitar when I was 13, or bass rather, um, and uh, started started from there. Kiss was the first band that uh, kind of captured my imagination and made me want to play music. Um, I was fortunate enough to... My very first concert was uh, Kiss and Cheap Trick at the Forum in 1977. I saw um, that tour. That's, that's yeah. nice. I saw that tour on the day Elvis died. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, learned Multi- how to, I learned how to put butane in my mouth and blow plumes of fire. <laughs> <laughs> And you're st- and you're still here. I'm amazed. Oh, I lo- at a party once. I was showing off to try to get laid, and I uh, burnt one all the eyebrows off one side of my face. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sweet irony. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, that show uh, that was actually the recording of Kiss Alive Two, no less. Um, so my voice is on there somewhere. But uh, that that gig was that that moment for me, where it's just like, yep, that's what I want to do with my life. And and uh, everything after that is pretty much been in furtherance of that. So, uh, yeah, I started playing guitar, played in numerous bands in high school, uh, ranged from punk rock. There was a metal phase, which is kind of what I think I owe some of my chops to. Um, and then uh, coming out of that, it was uh, just a kind of endless parade of bands um, that eventually led me to, you know, bands that actually got got a little bit more, got a bit a bit further along. And, uh, you know, Mephisto Waltz was the first band that I did any real touring with, which followed Shadow Project. Then by then, Faith in the Muse was my next thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was, you know, almost 20 years of work there. Um, right, 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 right. So, uh, so uh, often, you know, a lot of times on here we're talking to um, filmmakers, authors. We don't, we haven't talked to a lot of musicians, and I'm, and I'm, I'm interested in seeing if, Something that is usually the case with these other guys is the case with musicians, cool. and that is um, almost to the letter. Uh, everybody that we've talked to has had real supportive parents of their weird thing that they're into, um, be it you know making monsters in your basement or, or whatever it is. Was was that the case with you picking up the guitar and uh, wanting to be, uh, for lack of a better word, a rock star? <laughs> well, the funny bit is when you just mentioned that you haven't had a lot of musicians on the show. I was about to say that you're about to learn why. Uh, but <laughs> but um, no, with respect to that, um, I had uh, you know, your sort of um, black and white experience there. I had a dad who, when I picked up my bass and you know brought it over to his place, my parents divorced when I was seven, so um, I you know see parents see my dad on kind of alternating weekends, sort of arrangement. 
And um, my dad came from a very uh, conservative background. He joined the Marines when he was 17 and um, a very much self-made kind of couldn't wait to get couldn't wait to get away from North Dakota and and move to Los Angeles and had very specific goals in mind for me. He expected me to be a football playing Marine. Mm, gotcha. um, so, boy, did that go different. Yeah. Um, and then um, so when I pulled out my base and started, he kind of said, OK, let's see what you got. Um, I started playing the best that I could within those, you know, three or four months of playing that I'd done. And he says, see, that's never going to work. You're never going to make it. You got to get a solid job. You got to, you know, musicians aren't even in the game uh, kind of thing. So I had that kind of a very conservative view on the one hand. And, um, and then on the other, on the other, I had my mom who was, who kind of gave me the, it doesn't matter what you do. I don't care if you're a garbage man, just be the best garbage man that you can be. And, and, uh, so at that point, um, she didn't, she didn't say a lot when I'd be playing, but the neatest thing that I reflect back on to this day is I'd be in the bedroom, you know, learning whatever album I was working on or trying to master some particular lick or piece. And, uh, she wouldn't say anything, but later, uh, I'd be doing chores around the house or whatever. And I would hear her whistling something that I was playing earlier that day. Nice. Oh, that's cool. and so having that support for me was huge. And so she was a much bigger influence for me in that respect. Uh, also just by, you know, the fact that I lived with her and not my dad. But um, and later I kind of figured out my dad a lot more. Um, you know, he was a, he was a drummer in high school and had some idea of becoming a drummer. But uh, he came from this very two plus two equals four kind of mindset uh, where security and stability is, is key. He talked about the best drummer in his school. Uh, actually sold shoes for a living and that he thought if this guy can't make it playing drums, if he's selling shoes, then I don't have a shot at all. Wow. And so he had this very practical kind of, kind of way of viewing it. So for me, that, the, the, that contrast was key and I definitely, you know, appreciate my mom for that. Cool. Again, it's, it's that, it's that person that gives, gives you permission. permission. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise it's all, it's all ephemeral stuff. But as soon as, um, someone says, "Hey, that was good. Yeah. What you did right there." Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the first time somebody says, you know, "Man, you draw really good." You yeah, know? and and right. that's all you need. That's, yeah. that's yep. all the fuel you need. Yeah, and it, it's weird how that one thing counterweighs all of the. You're never gonna make it, right. kids. That's gonna that are to come. Yeah, because yeah, you yeah. always hold on to that one moment. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I th- I think they're both valuable because on the one hand you've got the encouragement, you know, the you can do this thing from the one side, and then you've got something to prove to the other one. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I imagine that d- did Dad ever say like, yeah, you know, finally come around. Uh, well, yeah, that was it. Was I? We didn't speak for eleven years. Um, yeah, yeah. At uh, coming coming out coming out of my teens, and um, you know, he moved elsewhere and whatnot. And he, uh, I didn't see him again. There was no contact until actually my mom had called him surreptitiously, hadn't told me about it. And then when Faith and Muse was touring in 1996, we played Cleveland, which is where he moved to. And my dad just showed up. Wow. Oh, wow. That's. <laughs> <laughs> and he was at the gig. And so for me, it was a thing. You know, I was like, I was like, OK, um, you know, we you know, we connected there. And it was it was, uh, you know, that was the beginning of kind of, you know, um, 
getting back in contact and kind of uh, coming to understand each other a lot better. So a lot yeah. of positive, a lot of positive came out of it, and we have a really, really good relationship now. That's nice. Awesome. That's, That's awesome. awesome. I yeah. did. Did you know he was there before you went on? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, I so can't imagine. It's like when my first book came out. I get, my mom ended up getting a copy, and she goes, "Yeah, I'm going to read your book." I'm like, "Whoa, no, 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 no! Just be happy. And that's up on the shelf, and you don't need to go anywhere near that." Um, so about so now we're what like in your twenties, and now you're gigging with bands. Um, how did yeah, you hook up with thing people like Christian Death? Uh, that was. It was it was just one thing kind of led to another. You know, I was in a band in Los Angeles called Wreckage. That was a band that was, uh, you know, yeah, uh, uh, Tony Lestat's Wreckage, right? Yep, that yeah. was me and him. We we put that band together in, uh, uh, I think the phone call was January third, nineteen eighty nine, where we got the ball rolling on that, and wow. and uh, and I so that was a busy. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, no! Stop it. I'm just playing. <laughs> uh, but um, but yeah, I. I I described our single as hard hard to find and harder to listen to. But um <laughs> but uh no we did uh you know we did a year and a half of a lot of work uh playing around and stuff and then off of that that's when um at at the tail end of that that's when I connected with Mephisto Waltz which was uh Barry Galvin who was part of the whole Christian Death lineage and so I was you know I joined up with them and played with that band for about two and a half years and that led me into Shadow Project, which led me into Christian Death, and then that uh, kind of uh, led me into Sex Gang Children, and Sex Gang Children was the last thing that I did before starting Faith in the Muse. Mm. Um, and the kind of the ball was already in play by the time I was leaving Mephisto Wells, but there were a couple of other things along the way. Okay. And um, so that was just one thing leading to another, right place, right time. And um, my uh, time in Germany in 1992, I think, was probably the most pivotal of uh, that entire era in terms of the people I met and all the momentum that that set in motion. Mm -hmm. And there's relationships that I made during that, that time that are still, still functional today. This would be, is this like what, Leipzig? Uh, no, just, uh, well, uh, try to make a long story short on this one. Um, Pistol Wells was offered a tour of Germany right after we put out an album um, in early 92. Mm -hmm. And it was supposed to, it was, and we were going over there to play with Shadow Project. So it was all this sort of Christian death offshoot stuff. Um, and Shadow Project, of course, being Roz Williams and, and Eva O. And so we went over there to do this series of shows together. It was supposed to be six shows over two weeks. After the second show, the promoter ran out of money and the whole tour, and the whole tour got canceled. And we got dropped off at a fan's house to figure things out. Shadow Project had management and were a little bit more intelligent about it. So they actually had plane tickets home. Uh, us, we did not. So we had to figure out what we were going to do, uh, and long story short, we were essentially marooned in Germany for five months, and um, with two weeks' worth of, worth of luggage and planning. So we uh, very much lived by our wits, figured out you know how to uh, how to survive on very little money, uh, managed to play a few shows and record an EP while we were there. Uh, people always say, "Wow, that sounds like hell." Actually, it was one of the best times of my life. Yeah. And um, and then that uh, kind of led to everything that followed. Um, so that was uh, that was pivotal. And and Roz, man, right? That was well. That that experience, you know, being together during that is what made him and Eva say we should get William and Stephen for Shadow Project and Christian Death. So yeah. it, was, it was that whole thing set so many different things in motion. 
that guy, I still hear people like that. Like he's he's spoken about, you know, in certain certain circles, you know, just real reverently, and that's good. That's good. Uh, as well, as well, it should be. That guy's a huge influence on everybody. Um, I mean, anyone you who ever have... owned any Aquanet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you wouldn't have Marilyn Manson without him. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, it's it. I, I would be completely lying if I didn't say that Faith in the Muse was easily in my top ten of bands of all time. Um, I Very I I can't even tell you the talk about influences and stuff. I've spent hours writing to your records my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 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 I was at one point asked and I'm eternally honored for this to write the liner notes for their, their there's a collection right. called um, From the Land of the Sea am I right on that? Uh, yeah for, uh, Where the Land Meets the Sea there we go and um, uh, so these guys I could talk for hours about these guys uh, the, you you came along at a time the same time we did. This is like '94. That's uh, well, we, we met in '95, so it was yeah, not long after. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were in our second issue, and I remember we landed the interview with him, and I was just like, "Ooh, well, look at us! We're this is like God royalty." <laughs> there was kind of this perfect storm in in you know the early '90s or in, in the mid '90s where where like we had. We had a bunch of stuff happening. Like, we had, you know, The Crow came out, mm -hmm. um, your magazine was kicking, um, and this music was starting to get, I'm not going to say mainstream, but people... Mainstreamed. Yeah, people were, were beyond this kind of little cult area, were listening mm -hmm. and paying attention to it. You know, I always told Kat, who we did, the, I did the magazine, of course, she's my wife, right. but um, I always told her, I go, we got a shelf life till about the turn of the century, the year 2000. Because it's always been that way. As centuries close, minds... Sort of yeah, it doesn't somewhere. matter what's happening. Things change, yeah. regardless. Yeah, and things start to get... Like, art gets a little darker. If you go back into, like, 1899 right. to 1900, the same sort of thing. And I knew that once we hit, like, 2000, 2001... Most people realized, oh, shit, we're still here. <laughs> what? Y2K wasn't real. <laughs> um, we I we knew that that zeitgeist was going to shift, right? And we all that's why we always had the plan to do that along with it. Um, uh, but it, you're right; it was a time that was that was talk about fond memories. Yeah, yeah. I have memories of having the greatest time in my life, standing in a brocade skirt <laughs> 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 and thinking, big, like I'm a fairly big guy, and I'm like, uh, this this so isn't like me, and so <laughs> there you go. But it was a great time, though. Um, met Absolutely. A lot of great people. It was also, Likewise, suffice it to say. Yeah, it was also, and I, and, and this is, I think this is, I think this doesn't speak to any particular zeitgeist, but it was also the time that um, I was uh, training in the Philippines. I had go. my school going, and martial arts was like a huge part of um, my life, and every. Uh, it, it, what was weird is it all tied together for me. Yeah. So the so the the music, the culture, the training, it all was part of the same thing. Right. 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 Uh, it's, it's no longer that way. I'm an old man now. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick sidebar. I was going to mention this later, but uh, since you brought it up, Sony has taken over the reboot of The Crow. I stop it already. Yeah. Just stop it. So there's that. Well. It, you know, the, the the one thing that, that I take, you know, away from that and that I'm really uh, excited about is that they've been talking about a, a Crow remake for 
literally years now, mm. and it still hasn't happened. Yeah. And so... Uh, well, real quickly, and, and again, this is all new stuff, yeah. but um, they're talking Jason Momoa as the crow, which makes me laugh. It's like, isn't he like 6'4"? So yeah, dumb. he's 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 a monster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that said, um, uh, since you brought it up, yeah. uh, I do want to take a small diversion because you brought up martial arts. <laughs> tell, tell me a little bit about it. Like, we, we've, we, this is one of those things where we, we've been talking for years now about it, but I want to know where did where did that come from? Because even when you first told me that you were training at the Inasano Academy in L.A., I was, it blew me away. I mean, I didn't even know that that was a side of you, but clearly it is. Yep. Uh, it's, it started for me, I mean, like, like anybody else, it, you know, the, uh, the Bruce Lee influence was palpable. Um, you know, it started, started with that um, when I was a kid. End of the Dragon was, you know, huge movie for me. Um, and <laughs> even Game of Death, dare I say, there was a lot of... Uh, don't, you I, feel, I had, I, don't, don't you feel dirty knowing... No, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm copying to this. as it's very, This is very confessional for me <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> Because like, I realize that's that it, yeah it's it's horrifying. We know that now, but in 1979 when we went and saw it, in my case with my mom dragging me along because it was a uh, a rated R movie, uh-huh. um, and God bless her because she was terrified. We were the only white people in the whole theater. Nice. And she was not used to that. Oh, I bet. And um, uh, but she did it. And she saw. Uh, I, I mean, she obviously um, cared about the, you know, this weird thing that her kids into, that he's really passionate about. Uh-huh. So, yeah. But I, it, now I look back, and and aside from like, bum, 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 <laughs> yeah, I, I feel really bad when I watch that because I can now go and watch the complete uh, scenes that Bruce shot. Um, yep. In the tower, and those are bad. Completely ones. separate from the movie, yeah, and they are. They're great, and those are really, really bad. Was, I mean, you need to view them as their own thing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, what, so did you start in JKD? No, God, I wish. Um, back <laughs> in those days, it was I mean very thin on the ground. So the best I could get my mom to commit to was um, I think I was twelve, eleven or twelve, um, and I got to start taking um, Taekwondo uh, at the local rec center. Um, where I was as a kid. And so uh, it was very exciting for me at the time in that, you know, I got my gi and, you know, met my sensei and, you know, and started learning things that at the time were exciting without being able to put critical thinking into it, going like, why am I learning these really obsolete traditional styles that don't necessarily have efficacy on the street? You know, you know, um, not necessarily able to articulate that at the time, but there was this thought in the back of my head that, like, nobody fights like this. Um... And then over time, um, yeah, I had a few different teachers, and then it was later on that I began to study a little bit of ninjutsu um, for a little while. What was that guy's name? Uh, who's uh, the ninjutsu? Stephen Hayes. Stephen K. Yeah. Hayes. <laughs> do you remember, yes, sir? William, do you remember um, the um, the Smoky Mountain camps? This is like a, a an '80s thing where. Um, it was one of the first times that we we had these big J, well, not just JKD, but we had these big martial arts camps, and um, uh, <laughs> uh, usually, you know, the usual suspects were um, Dan Inosanto, Larry Hartzell, Stephen Hayes, um, 
Bill Wallace, mm-hmm. uh, I can't, a couple others, and um, I remember this great conversation about a wooden dummy <laughs> and what everybody was going to do to it, you know, and uh, Larry was going to choke it out, um, Dan was going to beat it up with sticks, yeah. <laughs> Stephen Hayes was going to hide behind it. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair, hilarious. Fair assessment. <laughs> wow. And, and that's not, I, I, that's just, you know, that was the joke that was going around at the time. Amongst oh. In in the circle. You know. But okay, so so then you found Ninja Two, and then I started with a couple. Of, I took some a, a few classes from Frank Dukes in the Valley. And, there you go. And started there, and then eventually migrated over to Stephen Hayes, and and his whole style got impossibly commercialized, and kind of I felt really dumbed down for soccer moms. And all along was this sort of nagging feeling that. You know, this it, it's not really practical. It's it's based on you know traditional styles that I, I couldn't see the efficacy. A lot of the stances didn't make sense. A lot of the yeah, it it just felt very antiquated. And uh, so when I finally found the Anasano Academy, it's funny because I mean this isn't they don't advertise, mm-hmm. never did, yeah, and never needed to. And uh, as I learned more about it, um, I you know went down, took a, took my first class and just went. This is fucking amazing, <laughs> and just uh, and fed right into it, and that started uh, started me uh, down that road, and uh, got to train with just amazing people. Every class was very much alive, and you know, first half was drilling, second half was sparring. You know, every class, and um, and then that led me to expanding styles. So coming out of just your basic Jun Fan stuff, I started adding in a little bit of Muay Thai, a little bit of Kali. And then most recently, uh, started with some Brazilian jiu-jitsu owing to the fact that, you know, stand up, I, I feel relatively okay, but mm-hmm. I've got nothing on the ground. So yeah. that was, uh, that led me to, you know, start, start with some, uh, BJJ. That sounds like exactly what I, I said to you, <laughs> you many years ago. Yeah, going to the ground, man, it was always like, I just remember thinking, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. And then I found myself there. <laughs> I thought, well, well, I got to figure this shit out right now. I mean, inherently, most people are going to be uh, uh, comfortable in a particular arena, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you feel good in long range, or maybe you feel good, you know, inside boxing. Maybe you, you know, it's the rare person that's good at all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, it, but you need to, at the very least. Um, learn enough outside of your particular arena, right. so, so that, you don't shit your pants. <laughs> yeah, so that when you get caught there, you know enough to yeah, yeah, save yeah. your ass and get back to the spot where you can land some heavy bombs. Yeah, and know that that I would add to that that know that that evolves, right? Because right. a few years ago, I could throw a kick above the waist. Right now, <laughs> well, not so much. Larry Hartzell's big thing was, you know, he he came he came to Goododan as. Uh, as a kicking specialist uh, from Ed Parker's school, okay, mm-hmm. and he had, uh, I, I think, I can't remember now, but I think it was an automobile accident. Something messed him up, and he's like, I can't do that anymore. And so he, rather than stopping, he switched gears, and he wound up becoming JKD's premier grappler, you know, like the guy there to go, go to. Yep. Uh, yeah, so you just, you have to be, um, you got to be 
flexible. You got to be, you know, be able to flow and, and take those detours. Watch how I bridge this. <laughs> um, I've always said that uh, it's like your your drills and your techniques and and all of that stuff. It's like rudiments in music. And then when you get to sparring, sparring is your chance to play jazz, to yeah. improv, improvise. I got a musician here, <laughs> and I want to ask about that. Do you find that the disciplines intertwine to a point that you can't even pull them apart? Um, I Ideally. Um, my approach with JKD, uh, my particular understanding and distillation of it, is finding the synthesis that suits you, you know, out of all these things. And eventually the style should become indistinguishable because it's no longer any one of these styles. It's just you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once you get past, you know, rote method repetition and you're actually just getting your you're programming this stuff into instinct and, you know, it, it just, just kinetic, kinetic response. It's, that's what you're after all along mm -hmm. is getting to that point. And so that for me, I, when I'm sparring, I'm not, you know, I may put a focus on something if there's, if there's some drill or some particular aspect of something that I'm really trying to nail. Mm -hmm. But, but when it comes just to open fighting, I'm not, you know, I'm certainly not thinking about style. Right, 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 right. No, I'm, I mean, the idea of that same headspace, like you're, let's say, improvising a solo over a song, mm -hmm. um, that same sort of place in your head for me anyway, it sort of mixes with that. This Instead of my fingers doing what I need to do, now I've expanded in my entire body. And it's 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 literally, and I hate to, it sounds so trite, but the art of expressing the human body. Sure, sure. Uh, no question. Yeah, yeah. But I just... Uh, no, I, I, to play with, I mean, that, that analogy, perhaps I'm not explaining it well, but that's exactly what you're saying is, what, I'm, what you're saying is exactly the same thing I'm trying to point at, uh, in that, yeah, you've spent all this time drilling and learning, you know, rudiments and and combinations and what have you. But when you're free of all that, you're not thinking about it at all. You're just yeah. doing it. And it's it's coming from a very holistic place. Mm. You know, you're you're not piecing the stuff out. And if you are, odds are you you need more work. I mean, it's the same music everything kind of everything I do has that same sort of sensibility to it. Yeah. Um most of the things that I've been drawn to musically as well as martial arts as well as permaculture, all these other things. Um, most of those people that I'm drawn to are very iconoclastic. Uh, they come in and they kind of uh, ruffle feathers, blow up a lot of old models and preconceptions, and then create their this you know space uh, for synthesis, for creativity, mm -hmm. and for people putting together things that are non-traditional but highly functional. It, it helped, like with, with, with the, the stick training that we do, um, music helps because... I've done paradiddles. You, you start. <laughs> you start sticks. to hear rhythms within. What yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and in fact, a lot of times when when something goes down, I can watch it, but I need to hear that 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 rhythm of the slapping to right. go. Oh no! Okay, I got now. I got it. Right, I, right, I right. I got it. Right. So I find I I personally find music and and everything I, and whatever I can accomplish in martial arts so intertwined that. Uh, um, you know, I remember a time sparring and uh, Led Zeppelin's Dancing Days came on. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, dude, I got this. <laughs> now, that, that's, a, that's a tricky prospect, um, working with music specifically, because, I mean, I, I haven't been to a school that doesn't use it. 
And um, the thing with music is you uh, you get locked into beats, you get locked yeah. into patterns. Right. And yeah, yeah. and patterns, on the other hand, are easily detectable. Sure. Uh, so it's knowing when to break that rhythm and go against it that right, right. really that I think that that's that's where the the kind of the dangerous part is. Um, and getting to watch the Dog Brothers work that oh, was yeah. you know, that's, watching those guys that was that was serious. Yeah, yeah. I was going to um, interject uh, or. You listen to Zappa, and, and, <laughs> and then it doesn't and, matter. Because anything goes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's hilarious. Yeah, Dog Brothers. When did you uh, When did you wind up in Chicago and training at the Degerberg Academy? That was a product of uh, moving away from Los Angeles, which I did. Uh, I moved to Chicago on December twenty sixth, twenty ten. And um, and I'd been at the Indesano Academy right up uh, to near the end. I'd been on tour a lot for the previous year, so I hadn't been training as much. Uh, as I've been on the road, but um, I moved, uh, yeah, moved here at the end of 2010 and started training at Degerberg. I think took me a little while to find my feet, so it was near the end of 2010. I want to say maybe summer, fall 2010 that I uh, I found them, and I was looking for something specifically that was in my lineage, because sure. um, uh, it was uh, there's so many people. I you, you probably the last two guys I need to tell. Uh, about how many people you know out there claiming JKD? Mm-hmm. Right, right. He, you know, uh, the Degerberg Academy, uh, at, le- at least for me, has like a, a it's a warm, fuzzy um, place in my heart because um, when when I had my school, I lived in Iowa. I was like it was like I don't I can't remember three or four hours drive to um, Chicago, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that was the first place that I met Guru Dan. That mm-hmm. was the first place I met a lot of people because I'd, dr- I'd make the drive to go to a seminar, and uh, and and <laughs> the Degerberg Academy. And I and I don't know if it's still the same. I haven't been there since the '90s, but but <laughs> it uh, it was this awesome place where um, there was I, I want to say three floors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, three floors of stuff going on, and there, depending on what floor you were on, I remember like, I remember doing drills on this carpet that was, I it seemed like it was from the 1960s, <laughs> and it probably had vomitus in it. And, sure, sure, sure. And it was so great because um, in Iowa at the time, if you went to any any martial arts place. They were, they were all mostly they were all mostly uh, Korean martial art mm-hmm. places, and they were uh, they had hooked up with like some cool fitness place, and so it was all chrome and polish, and oh. you know, yeah, and uh, you, you, you know, you walked in and people were training with hair product, you know, in there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you, I like do. you walk in and you're like, oh. Okay. I remember the first Muay Thai school I went to. I walked in and I just go, this place smells like ass. I love it. I love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not that I love the smell of ass, but it was like, work's been done You here. know that people are working yeah. their ass off. De- yeah. the, the Academy, the Degenberg Academy, for me, it's like, you know, some people go, one day I'll go to Paris. You know, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, always, yeah, yeah. one day I'm going to go there and just walk in and every all these people are going to go, who's this crazy old man like just looking at the walls going, legend. <laughs> but, well, yeah, I mean, it is kind of like that, isn't it, William? Like, you, 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 you walk into this place, there's a million pictures hanging up of all the people who have been there over there. I mean, god damn it, Angel Cabalas, like, d- 
did seminars there. You know, I, it, it's, it's yeah, and so it's like it is. It's it is it it is kind of a mecca, uh, as is um, dance school training at the at the in the That's Academy. another one that I want uh, to. Uh, William, when you started training <coughs> at the Innocento Academy, was that at the location in Marina del Rey? Yes, sir. Ah, uh, that, see, that was a cool place because it was there was no sign. It was like, uh, you know, it was like just this, this garage. Yeah, door, to knock on the, the door and say, right, Walt yeah. sent me. Yeah. <laughs> it, was set, it was set back off the street. You yeah, could generally yeah, yeah. see it. It was, it was fucking cool, man. Okay. It was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I got to grab the reins of this and pull this <laughs> over yeah, here. Yeah, I'm sorry. We're starting to. Um, <clears throat> before we get on to the topic, I want to talk to you a little bit about permaculture. Sure. Tell me about that. Well, um, see, let's see. How do I encapsulate uh, this broad a topic into a nutshell synopsis? Um, long story short, uh, social activism had been a part of my life uh, very heavily in the 80s, a little less so in the 90s, where I think a certain degree of cynicism and burnout sort of took, took over for me. Um, then as we moved into the 2000s, I kind of had the impetus to do something again. Um, and the uh, sort of Bush era definitely... Uh, push me further down that road. Um, so it was around 2005 where a friend of mine had videotaped some uh, sort of activist-related stuff off of PBS and said, hey, there's this thing I think that you might find interesting on here, and I was looking through, and sure enough, there was this little short bit on uh, these Mexican punks that were doing this stuff called permaculture, where they were going to villages and treating polluted water and um, going to these cement block buildings in Mexico where these children were breathing in the cement dust, which is terrible for the lungs, and covering it with this substance called cod. Um, and so this was, it kind of got my attention. And uh, so that I, I Googled it and reams of stuff came up. I was awake all night reading. Then I ordered a book on it. Then I went and took a kind of a course on it. And, um, and that was the life changer for me was coming out of that. Uh, it's basically a design system for creating sustainable human habitation um, mm -hmm. and, every, and everything that that means. So that's from creating functional social systems to ecological uh, systems to, uh, you know, human interrelation systems to just about everything you can imagine. It's, it's a, basically a design thinking process uh, that you apply to just about everything. It's a, uh, it becomes sort of a lens through which you see the world. And uh, so I, uh, I became immediately active in that. I began teaching it as a sort of a, a sort of apprentice teacher the following year, and have been doing it ever since. And so basically, designing I design professionally for for people as well as teach, and then maintain my own place um, as well. So it's uh, it's been a huge part of my life, and it's kind of the thing that keeps me sane, um, particularly in this climate. Is um, yeah. rather than describing things as a negative saying I'm anti this I'm anti this I'm anti this I, you know, I kind of flipped the script on that and permaculture gives me the opportunity to describe way more what I'm for so you know, I'm for walkable cities I'm for public transport I'm for you know creating food where we where we eat it I'm you know as opposed to getting a single piece of produce from 1600 miles away right. um, I'm for clean waterways yeah you know, and and using and having the Ecological technologies available to explain how those things function and how how they how they work how they can be done in cities. Um, a, a very common misconception with permaculture is people say, "Yeah, okay, I get it. It's organic gardening. That's 
a very common misnomer. There's so much more to it than that. But um, rather than me waffle on endlessly about it, I would definitely encourage anybody to look it up. There's a uh, it, there's a ton of information out there. And it's 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 a uh, um, you know we were talking about cultural zeitgeist earlier, mm-hmm. and I would venture to say that uh, permaculture is is something that's um, well it's been happening for uh, quite a while, but uh, it's hitting its stride I think because I mean, <clears throat> we have all these cities that have these bike sharing programs for mm-hmm. example. Um, we have, and then and then again too. I might be, I might be just responding to this echo chamber that I live in because I s- just surround myself with like-minded people. Sure. So that's a question for you, William. Is like, uh, is permaculture healthy in the world right now? Are we seeing things happening, um, or is it a constantly shifting thing where it's like some cities are getting it, some aren't, some take things away, some add things? Uh, a, l- a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. It's, uh, I mean, this is something that was created by two Australians in the late 70s as sort of a response to um, ecological degradation and the oil shock that we experienced at the time. Right. Um, and so it's kind of trying to find a way to navigate these things elegantly, try to restore the landscape and try to uh, look at a way of... Uh, in declining energy uh, society, what, how can we navigate an elegant way out of that uh, with a minimum of suffering? So it was, it was, that was kind of the drivers uh, at the time. And since then, it's spread out you know, all over the world. There's you know, permaculture happening in pretty much every part of the world. However, the degree of penetration, um, while, while profound, uh, hasn't really found its way into the mainstream. Um, and unfortunately, I think that you know, in modern Western society, we're really motivated only by crisis. So it's um, it takes I think it takes some negative things to occur before people uh, kind of start paying attention and look up from their phones. So we're uh, we're kind of in that mode right now. That said, I've uh, yeah, I teach permaculture courses. I teach one I, once uh, one time a year. I'll be in the mountains of rural Kentucky in the Appalachians for for a couple of weeks teaching there. So, um, and then there's all kinds of locals that, you know, are, have interest in what we're doing. And this is way rural. This is, you know, this is Trump country that I'm talking about. And, uh, but at the same time, they're, it's really about connecting across common, uh, common ground and common goals. You know, everybody wants clean food and water. Everybody wants safe neighborhoods. You know, everybody wants, you know, a, a safe place to live. You know, so there's a lot of, common ground where you can kind of connect across and that's that's what i get to talk to people through the permaculture lens that i would never have come into contact with otherwise that is so um cool to hear because i think so so much of uh uh, of this uh for lack of a better word divided america um is unwilling to find Mm -hmm. um common ground yeah and, even though uh, there's a lot of it, even though there's there's a lot of common ground, right? I mean, in the at the end of the day, we're all humans, and most of us, Nazis not included, <laughs> right? Want the essentially the same things. Right. You know, we, we're coming at it at different ways, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but you know, we kind of want the same things, and uh, it, it's really cool to hear someone. Say, I 
I have this thing, and and it is uh, hitting that common ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you, when you're in Kentucky, where are you at? Uh, it's a town called Irvin, which is uh, maybe about 90 minutes from Lexington. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know that place. I know that place. You know Phil? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do. (laughs) Well, how much, um, and again, maybe it's the echo chamber I live in, but I see people sort of waking up to the idea, some of these ideas on social media. Right. People, especially the young people, look at me, young people. Young um, people. That are waking up and saying, you know, like, yeah, uh, I don't want to wait until they're shitting in my water before I stand up because yeah. and defend them shitting in yours. Well, I, I, I think the encouraging thing, the cool thing is that re- regardless of what age bracket you belong to, um, let's say, for example, recycling. Recycling has gotten to a place in 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 society that it seems normal. Yeah, you do it at one time, dude. I remember having to wear a seatbelt was a pain in the ass. Right, right, exactly. People were like, "I ain't gonna wear seatbelts," and now you you get into a car and it's just so automatic. Recycling's the same way. Yeah, and recycling's the same way. Where Mm -hmm. it's like because when I was a kid in Southern Illinois, (laughs) out the window, everything went into the burning barrel. Yeah, and and I sat there and inhaled, you know, toxic, toxic fumes. Yeah, watching cool shit drip because <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's but do yeah. you agree to that with that that people are kind of waking up a little bit? I mean, especially with as we sort of obliquely talked about the um, the present administration seems to be calling for it. You know, it's a it's it, it it's a. It's a hard one to figure out, to be honest, because the thing with Facebook, it, it is such an echo chamber, you know, um, and I was probably as shocked as most others um, to watch where the country went immediately following the Trump victory, right. um, where it's like, wow, I thought we were a lot further ahead on this, you know, in terms of a lot of social progress, and uh, and then finding out, nope. We're still kind of where we were. It's just it's just kind of emboldened and has an available voice there. So I'm I'm try, always trying to keep that awareness against the stuff that I'm seeing directly, and I'm always looking for those leverage points. It's like where where are we missing these people? Where are we not connecting with them? Mm-hmm. And and right now polarities are really attractive, and everyone wants to uh, kind of go in this year either with us or against us kind of thing, which really echoes some of the post 9/11 Bush rhetoric, but. Right. Um, and so there are those of us that are out there that are actually kind of making points that, you know, there's subtlety and nuance has, has a place that if we lose that, we really lose dialogue entirely. Um, and once you write the other half off as irredeemable, you know, we've kind of well and truly shit the bed. So it's it 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 does require some painful dialogue. And and unfortunately, the luxury of time is not one we have a lot of, but it seems that that's what it's going to take. So I'm kind of for getting into that work rather than waiting. So I'm always trying to connect with people that I don't necessarily have a lot in common with and spending some time listening. Uh, I'm imagining people looking at their ra- their their thing now going, Wait, did I turn into the McLaughlin group or something? <laughs> <laughs> no. So in a weird way, I'm going to try to bridge this one. Um, we were going to talk about soundtracks, and, and uh, yeah. uh, I guess the first question is in both. They're kind of, and that's the thing. Um, I want to know in our each of our opinions what makes a good film score. Okay, and what before before we go there. Uh,
William, you have done the score for a Hollywood movie, yeah? No. No? No, never. It's uh, one of the things that... I, I get that question a lot, but I have not. Why um, I, Why do we ask that question? Why? Uh, well, probably because it sounds like a lot of my early music should have been. But you guys had a song on, what was that? Children oh. of the Corn... Part, part 666, Isaac's yeah. turn. Yeah. That's why you get that question. Okay. Th- yeah. th- and that's what well, I... Plus, a lot, like, if you go to the Faith in the Muse stuff, a lot of that stuff is so very cinematic. Fil- it's very filmic, yes. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, and, uh, that... Uh, there's a lot of, um... And, and I would, I would argue that you guys were part of, um, the beginning of this thing where people are making music that sounds like it should be uh, part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Now there's this whole thing of it, it, I, I think of retro synth wave in, in general uh, it, or rather in particular where people are literally like, man I like the music from this movie and nobody does it so yeah, I'm, I'm more of that. I'm going to make a soundtrack to an 80s movie that never existed. <laughs> there's right. A, there's a lot of there's that. There's a lot of that. Yeah, there's a lot of um, that. Look at like there's a band called Jello's Flame that does a lot of like Fulci era yeah. stuff and all mm-hmm. their all their songs have titles of like Four Flies on Grey Velvet or, right. or whatever. <laughs> um, and And in this my thinking is that scores are Film music, we're opposed to soundtracks like Top Gun or Saturday Night Fever. They're collections of, of pop songs right, that are right. featured in the film, but not necessarily written for the film. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So and, go ahead. And then there's a and there's that kind of gray area where it's just kind of where I think more symphonic kind of stuff like some of what Faith and Muse did could almost blur that line because there was a, a lot of things where it could fit. A very funny story around this is, uh, I don't know if I ever told you this one, Tom, hmm. um, but a long time ago, uh, you must doubtless remember the Faust comic by Vigil and Quinn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they were talking about making that into a film sometime back around 95, just as uh, Faith the Muse, we were doing demos for Anwin, the Anwin record. And uh, Matt from Tess uh, got a call from a friend of his up north and said, "Hey, Vigilant Quinn are doing this sort of brainstorm about this movie, and they're about to they're about to try to sell this for development. And I think you guys should get some music in this. So why don't you come up and we can we can do this together?" So Matt and I jumped in a truck and went straight up, and we hung out with uh, Vigilant Quinn and this guy Ed uh, for the evening as they sat there kind of spitballing about ideas for the film. And they were saying, hey, you guys got some music for us? And so I played them Illyria, and I played them the four-track demo of Cantus. Oh. And and the funny part about that is just as I went to play Cantus, the machine ate the tape. <laughs> <laughs> so so they never heard it, and it never got used in the film. Thank God. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they ended up making it. With yeah, I know, I saw it. Yeah. Brooke um, Stevens is in it, and it's pretty terrible. So, well, yeah, and, and really that's, that's the thing when it comes to film stuff, right? Is like y- 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 you've poured your heart and soul into your music. Mm-hmm. There's no guarantee that 
uh, it, when somebody approaches you to do your your movie, yeah. that it's gonna be selling your babies on Sharknado Five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's absolutely. Like, yeah. And, and uh, I imagine that has to be a tough decision. Yeah. It really depends. It depends on the show uh, or the film. Uh, the Children of the Corn thing. I knew. I knew. That was. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 um, but you're you're kind of you're kind of going up ahead uh, you know, of this saying, well, it's a film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're it's gonna an see IMDb this. credit at the and, very uh, least. So we we got paid. We did it. You know, and at, at least at the very least, uh, Carnunos got used at you know the you know one of the more exciting scenes in the film. Right. Um, exciting being a relative term, but um, and then we got end roll credits for the Sea Angler. Well, so. Nice. Yeah, so that was that was cool, um, but then there's other situations. We got uh, Faith and Muse got six cues in NCIS. There we go. And and uh, not Back only visual money. It, not yeah. only was it used well. Um, uh, the, the funny part is the first time we sent out an email saying, "Hey everybody, we have a cue on NCIS tonight." Everyone missed it uh, because it was a total blink and you miss it. It was a little bit of mercy ground that was covered by all this sort of tech noise that was going on. You never even heard it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we still got paid for it, and yeah. then we, and then the uh, the uh, the the rest of them got used pretty in pretty good situations, and that's the best money we ever made wow. was the money we got off that. Right. Um, was it? I'm sorry. Was it plain? Was it? They have a gothy lab. Yes. The, the, there was one shot where she was listening to us on headphones, and someone came and pulled the headphones off. She goes, "Hey, it was just getting to the best part." Yeah, um, that's so cool they, because that both your music's there and. You're referenced. It, yeah. it was and it was appropriate. Yeah, yeah, it was it was in the right place. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that the Polly Perrette character, yeah, that that worked. Um, but uh, but yeah, we still I still haven't scored a film for whatever reason. There's been a couple of near misses where I was offered some stuff and it, it just never panned out. But I'm still waiting, still looking. Uh, I, yeah, anyone listening, go to you, go 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 buy uh, the record that has Cantus on it and well, just listen to it. Okay, so so uh, it, 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 if that is, doesn't deserve to be in a film, I don't know what does. So two things, um, I, I it occurs to me as we're talking here, you know, I, talk about echo chambers. A lot of times, you and I know what the hell we're talking about, mm-hmm. but people listening may have no idea. Um, William, if you could describe or uh, um, yeah, describe both the uh, for for listeners, contextualize what kind of music does Faith did Faith in the Muse do and what kind of music are you doing now? Nice. Um, well, <laughs> There's a there's a nice potential puff piece for me now. Um, Faith and Muse was um, a project that came out of uh, really in many respects it was my having something to prove from having been a sideman in all these bands, having had a lot of musical ideas that never really got entertained uh, in these other bands. So it's it's funny how not being taken seriously in some respects can really foment a lot of uh <laughs> yeah a lot of good material and uh and then i think for monica it was the same thing she'd been in strange boutique and um i, I think her, the bandmates at the time sort of considered her a little bit of an afterthought in some ways because she would come up with song ideas and it, they weren't really you know taken seriously or listened to she got to write the lyrics and stuff but she had a lot more to offer 
and and that wasn't getting taken seriously. So the fact that we came together when we did, it was just it allowed for just complete and total creativity without any real boundaries. And so I'd, I'd always been attracted to you know a lot of neoclassical stuff, and I wanted to express that. I wanted to express more folk, more uh, more world music, as well as you know my more rock leanings. And so she was on this very much on the same page. So that allowed us to kind of go in with no preconceptions of what we were going to do. I was we were just sending ideas back and forth and writing, and it was very free form, and uh, we didn't have a real container for it other than let's just see where this goes. And then that led to uh, the Illyria record. And so to me, um, it's everyone else that tries to put it in a box. I never really did. Right, it right. fit comfortably under the goth banner in that era only because you were talking about a time where bands like Dead Can Dance, Delirium, Nick Cave, Diamanda Galas, Christian Death, you know, uh, all these things sort of fit under that banner. So I was kind of comfortable being mentioned the same breath as those guys sure so sure. uh so i was like okay sure it does you know it does have this overarching sort of you know dark melancholia to it that i'm you know was and still am very endeared to mm-hmm. so um and then from there you know we kind of developed a sound and a style and the albums that followed went off in that direction um and um and and you know on into uh the last album, which I think was continued, just continued on that lineage. You know, different styles, different cultures came in. That was very much Japanese influence. Absolutely. And yeah, the addition uh, of Heiko drums, giant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just a stroke of genius. It was. It again. It came. It came out of just a combination of, of films. You know, just watching um, a, a number of you know Japanese films at the time, kind of you know. Came it, it all came together. It was a little bit of reading Sun Tzu, a little bit of you know quite on, a little bit of. See, um, I, you this, know. I, this is why I love this guy. Quite, <laughs> he mentioned quite on the box. You're like, bam, bam, bam. I am fully erect. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> and it just and it just followed on from there. And I I I wanted to make stuff that you know um, that was expressing the time, and then. Uh, Monica had brought the Butoh dance form to my attention, and I was really taken by that. And it was just this real sort of dark visual mm-hmm. component that uh, I felt just played in perfectly. So it was just the, the the amalgamation of all those things together, you know, informed what that album turned into. And in an era where music was becoming increasingly disposable, and you know, people were focusing on downloads, we're all like, no, let's go the other way. Let's make a physical product that is a, like a real gem. So right. we did a DVD, a CD, and a book, you know, mm-hmm. all in one, and uh, and so that was that was the idea, yeah. and uh, and that was also the first tour where we did the kind of staging and production that I'd always wanted to do, mm-hmm. you know, and so it was nine people on stage and you know banners and lights and the whole nine, yeah, and uh, so yeah, that was that was the idea there, and then off of that, um, you know, moved to Chicago, whole new whole new situation here and that was kind of the birth of the bellwether syndicate um and i want i wanted to do something completely different uh with with that uh there's just no interest for me in doing the same thing over and over again so uh bellwether syndicate was a lot more of a uh shiny chrome kind of rock and roll project uh it started off that way and um and it's sort of starting to morph into something else i'm into you know the next album uh, at the moment, we're starting to uh, we, we've been demoing that one for a few months. So you know, my 
my wife Sarah and I are, have been working and writing on this, and it's going to be, take us through the end of the year, but um, it's supposed to, the album is meant to come out on February 14th. And so, uh, I'm, like any good album that I've been associated with in the past, I can't tell you what it's going to sound like yet. It'll, <laughs> it'll be what it is when it gets there, but it's got it's it's got 100 percent of my heart and soul in it at the moment. So that's uh, we'll see we'll see what comes of it. That's very cool. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to ask, do you find it um, when it comes to when it comes to making money, when it comes to selling um, an album? <clears throat> Do you find it difficult not having something that fits into a box that you can say, oh, this should go in this category in this record store, for example. I don't know if anybody buys music in record stores <laughs> anymore. Um, but uh, has that ever been a problem for you, or or is it more that you're... Um, uh, that that's that's not the that's not the main concern for you. The main concern is doing what you do. Um, the main concern has always been doing what I do, um, and I've never. Uh, it, it's the same thing that I've been attracted to with music, with JKD, with you know, permaculture. It's always these hybrids that occur and, and the synthesis that, you know, that occurs. This sort of very experimental frame of mind that we're, which is where I think all good stuff comes from. Um, you know, I'm always looking at artists that step outside the framework that create new combinations of things that people haven't done before. Uh, there's a band right now that, uh, is out called Algiers and they're, they've done this style that they're referring to as dystopian gospel. And, ah, uh, dude, I love it already. I don't even know what it is, but I love it. And it's fucking amazing. You know, it's, it's mixing like synth the synthier kind of side of a band like Suicide with like Curtis Mayfield with PIL. Oh, shit. you know it's like it's just this completely unique thing I've never heard it before. And as yeah. soon as as soon as I hear something I haven't heard before, man, that's I'm turned on for days. Yeah, you know, it's the new Al obsession. Algiers, yeah, I'm right. Now. Yeah, they have a new album called The Underside of Power that I think is amazing. Right on. That yeah. is so cool. <laughs> each, each, as you were describing that, I'm like, ooh, that ooh, button, ooh, ooh that, that button, button. <laughs> ooh, that button. <laughs> well, you know, um, I want to say it was Bernard Herrmann that said, talked about in, in doing film scores, that it wasn't enough to produce a piece of music. It was producing a piece of music that accentuated when the shark swam, swam by. Right. Um and so I, I kind of want to go back to a question I, I obliquely hit earlier, and that is, what makes a good film score? Is it is it a is it a tappable tune? Is it is it something that inspires? Um, nice segue, Tom. Thanks. Um, <laughs> the uh, the um, the for me, uh, I've heard there's there's really two schools of thought that I've encountered on what makes a good film score. I've heard the thought that a good film score should be invisible, mm. that you should you shouldn't notice sure. it at all. And if that's true, then the world is littered with good music scores. Right. Uh, with good film scores. Um, because I don't remember most of them. Um, however, um, I, what I look for in film scores is a, a personality that is running concurrent with the film the whole time. Mm. Um, and Bernard Herrmann is certainly 
um, one of the big, one of the greats. Yeah, he's one of the uh, big temples that we're going to. You know, I mean, you know, Psycho alone, Vertigo. I mean, just everything the guy touched was just gold. Dude, he uh, scored um, so many Ray Harryhausen films, and <laughs> his music is so much a part of. He my, was the guy. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. I'm sure you guys saw this, but they uh, at some point they were doing some sort of uh, Hitchcock retrospective where they were running Psycho, and they ran the scene where the cop is uh, is following Vivian Lee in the car. And they uh, they ran it with the music and without the music. Oh wow! And they t- they showed how it was just this, without the music. It was this completely pedestrian scene, no tension, nothing about it that you would even notice. It was just completely just passed by with zero consequence. Right. As soon as they added the score to it, it became tense and really tight and harrowing. And uh, I, I can't think of anything that illustrates that point better. Well, and, and that's the trick, right? Is that it, it is realizing that you're writing music for this end product. It's like anything with a film, right? It's like, it's not about your cool painting job. It's not about your whatever it is. It's about all of these elements coming together to create this this experience for uh, a, a film goer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the best soundtracks are ones where um, it, it does that job of, like, it, it creates the cinematic experience for the viewer. And if you go and you buy the soundtrack, you can listen to it as a completely separate thing. Yeah. Those, to me, are the best soundtracks. Well, it's kind of splintered, because on one hand, you can just put it on. Like, I, I work almost exclusively to soundtracks. Right. Or, like, if I'm going into class, I've got this, like, inspire playlist. But most people haven't seen every movie ever made like you have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, but the idea that, you know, like there are certain things that you don't, it, it, it talks about push, pushing buttons, you know, right. for guys like us hearing Basil Polyodorus's Conan theme, it's right. like, oh, I know this place. I, I really. was just going to say, <laughs> every night on the way to work, man, that that's the, yeah. that's the I played that, that on my honeymoon. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very strong mental image. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, um, But again, there are those things that are like you know, and and I guess that's the the trick, right? Finding the thing, finding your ecstasy of gold, right? Finding Uh, your stop. Yeah. Finding that piece of music that is going to like, immediately bring to mind that song. The Bond theme. As soon as I hear yeah. the Bond theme, it's like... Oh, Iconic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and I know you're not a Star Wars fan, but it's the same way with Star Wars fans, right? When yeah, no, hear, no question. Yeah. The score is legendary. Yeah. yeah, it's become almost shorthand. You know, yeah. on, like, all you need to hear is that bomb, 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 immediately yeah. it's like, all right. All right, yeah, the yeah. bad guys have walked into the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, or even yep. scores that are reminiscent of that. Yeah, you know, people like, and you go through Williams's place, and that guy that's it's just a guy firing. Certain names that will come up, and we're going to get to a bunch of those. In the sure. Second, well, and and I wanted to point out, I think I think film scores are the new, new in quotes, uh, uh, classical music, right? For a long time, if you wanted to indicate, you know, a feeling of dread. You did uh, Beethoven's Ninth, right? Sure. You, 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 there's like certain pieces of music that just yeah. have be, have uh, uh, these meanings uh, and feelings attached to them, and I think film does that better than anything. 
it's for me it's just a combination you know uh, what what really just does it for you is you can have this image that's really evocative on a screen but when you've got an effective score rising up to hammer that point home you know uh, that's that the synthesis of those two things that's where it all comes together and uh, and that's a good score for me you'll remember it after the film you know right. um, without even the benefit of a soundtrack album or even necessarily a second listen there are some scores that are just that iconic. You know, I mean, just the John, the 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 John Williams Jaws bit, yeah, just the that very simple, simplistic thing. But that build, you know, it it it's just part of uh, how many jokes are, uh, you know, are done around that. Right. You know, right, to right, the right. to this day, uh, it's simple little things like that. But you know, Psycho, you know, all these things that just become part of the social fabric. Look, dude, ultimately it comes down to a good soundtrack is a straight blast jab. It's got to be all the bullshit, and it just hits you in the face. And I think it helps the audience. It helps inform the audience on, on what to be feeling. Yeah. You know, that the, the, the some people argue against that, right? Some people are like, oh, now the violins are coming in, and they're manipulating my feelings. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing in a movie? If you don't want to be manipulated. <laughs> well, well, here's here's the thing though. If you notice that, then that's where I think the uh, the the production fucked up. Right. Uh, if you notice that, okay, I'm supposed to be feeling something here, but I'm clearly not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wait a minute. That's, that's that's just poor craftsmanship. The music just changed to a minor key. I think I should be sad. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, what's interesting is is uh, Kevin Smith doesn't get a lot of shit right, but. In red state, in red state, he there is no there is no score. It's the, it's he specifically didn't put one in there as as the tension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down. And um, and it is a, a a decent tension building film. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite the challenge, I'd say, because I think a lot of times we as filmmakers, um, we, we rely on that, right? Oh it's yeah. Like, you know, we we you know we we're shooting these things and we're piecing them together. And the glue is is the score. The it's score. like those. There's these uh, trailers now where they'll recut uh, The Shining as a, a situation comedy. Right, 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 right. And it's interesting because they haven't done anything to the footage. Mostly, what they've changed is the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. yeah. It's the same. Mrs. Doubtfire is a uh, as as a thriller. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like some lurking killer. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Are there there are iconic scores? We've mentioned some of them. Uh, are there others that I mean, like the, there's the Bond theme, there's the Psycho theme, there's sure. Jaws. Um, clo- I guess Close Encounters might fit in there. Close Encounters, Raiders. Yeah, uh, 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 you know what's funny about Raiders for me is that I always confuse, I always mix up the Raiders soundtrack or a uh, score with uh, or the main theme with the uh, the John Williams Superman main theme. Oh, wow. <laughs> If you really want to drive yourself crazy, the the theme to Psycho, the opening theme to Psycho, yeah, and the opening theme to Reanimator. Oh yeah! Oh my God! Well, that was a direct. That was almost a direct lift. It was insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have a. I I I suspect that that's that's (laughs) that was that was the intent. Yeah, that was kind of the plan. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the one thing in looking over my list was uh, I was shocked at how many people have dabbled, specifically at a certain point, jazz players. Um, I have uh, Art Blakey doing stuff. Uh, Dexter Gordon did stuff. Um, kind of weird that, I mean, that it's... 
I guess well, not because the well, the flow of score would lend it. You know. Yeah, and I think I think that uh, getting back to cultural zeitgeist again, it, you know, there are certain eras oh, in sure. filmmaking that uh, you know they 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 go hand in hand with you know um, what's happening in music and. And I think a lot of those jazz guys were, you know, getting basically getting attention mm-hmm. around the same time as certain certain films and certain types of filmmaking were being done. You know, like Miles Davis did Elevator to the Gallows, right? You know, and it's all it's all very indicative of a certain feel. Where just as much as the soundtrack to Iron Eagle, t- <laughs> 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 it's very indicative of that. Time frame, you know. Right. There are also there are also cases though where I've, a jazz score that absolutely shit the bed for me was uh, Mirror Mask, that oh, yeah. adaptation of like, oh my god, that was insufferable. <laughs> that was just horrible. Um, and then uh, and then, <laughs> you want to hear my number one most hated yes. film score of yes, all yes, time? Yes, Worst yes. film score I think I've ever heard. Lady Hawk. Oh, yeah. oh my god. Person. Okay. Okay. So check this out. So like, <laughs> I love. The soundtrack to Lady Hawk, or the, oh the score, God. the score to Lady Hawk, for the probably the same reason that you hate it. It's <laughs> so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it just, it's like it's. We're gonna take the most uh, derivative sound of the day uh-huh. that doesn't match what's going on on the screen at all, as in far any as, way, shape, or form. Not at all. <laughs> it's Alan Parsons, right? I, I think say, I think I believe it was yeah. yeah I want to say, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> so you have this like this crazy medieval fantasy, and you have like this like Juno one oh six like Hillary Simpson. Well, but off mic I brought it. Yeah, it's so wrong. Off mic I brought the Toto Dune score. Oh yeah, which yeah, is yeah. so overblown and so like. Uh, Weird, I, and I want to say to them, like, okay. you're di- the piano player. Your dad's Marty Page, right? <laughs> <laughs> Who's like renowned. He was part of the Wrecking Crew, right? And all yeah, yeah, yeah. And what is this? <laughs> Fucking horrible. Yep. Uh, I'm trying to think of a really a score I really hate. Well, that's a tough one. Yeah, it's it's hard because most people, even if they're crappy filmmakers are able to go, oh, this music doesn't match this at all. And and, and and at the very least, I think, for me, the worst soundtracks are the ones that are just uh, just going with the flow and not not really providing... They're not memorable. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, It's kind of like, and, and here's a little blasphemy for a lot of y'all, um, Philip Glass. Uh, you listen to Philip Glass scores and... There for me, it's like when they work, things like Koyan Squatsi and Koyan Squatsi, then they work because they match the frenetic cutting in the film. But when you put it in other things, <laughs> it gets a little yeah, yeah, yeah. Squirly. It just it doesn't well, it, uh, and and that's the problem, right? It's like here you're hiring this guy who has this clearly identifiable style, mm-hmm. who's kind like of can, the Candyman doing his own thing, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And isn't necessarily making music for the movie mm-hmm. and and I think that that's I think that that's the difference. I think the only time that I think it's really worked for him besides those those mm-hmm. experimental films that that you're talking about is uh Mishma. 
Yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I guess then do we want to flip that and ask if we have scores we hate, are there scores we love, like dearly love? Yeah. Like the one that comes to my mind right out of the box is Ryuichi Sakamoto's did a did the score to a little tiny Japanese film called Tony Takapani. Mm-hmm. It's all Ryuichi Sakamoto's solo piano. Wow, cool. haven't oh. seen it, but you can't go wrong with Sakamoto. It's it's so beautiful and it's so sad. And that movie is one that no one talks about, but Niagara Falls, man, it is <laughs> so heartbreaking. Um, so again, anybody? So scores that we we really dig. So we know what we know what score William hates. <laughs> what 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 is one of your favorites? Oh God, man. Um, I mean, there's there's the obvious stuff, you know, the real classics. You know, for me, you know, the Wendy Carlos score for Clockwork Orange is amazing to this day. Evangelist uh, for Blade Runner. Um, yeah, a lot of that Evangelist stuff is like that. You know, you look at the stuff like Antarctica, and you look at all the other other things he did. Most people think of him; they think of like Chariots of Fire or whatever. Right. But uh, you dive into that guy, and yeah, then you guys dive really deep. Here we go, prog rock fans. There's a band called Aphrodite's, Aphrodite's Child. <laughs> yes, I that, love that band. And at one time, when I I remember when Rick Wakeman left Yes, that yeah. Yes was going to step in. And I was like, "Ooh, that would be really good." Well, let's let's not forget Vangelis and John Anderson worked together. Absolutely. Oh, friends of uh, Mr. Cairo. Correct, yeah. correct, dude. Yeah. Such but, a um, cool album. Yep, that was that was a great, great one. Um, and then some of the other uh, soundtracks that I think, or scores for me that I think are really, really cool, are the things that are a little bit more ropey and sound um, like it's kind of a early effort for the composer like they're just kind of getting into it a little bit i found that rosemary's baby had a little bit of that that you know christopher made a a score um felt a bit loose suspiria certainly goblin you know always had a a bit too proggy for its own good in places but uh but overall highly memorable stuff Mm -hmm. but at various points kind of sounded a little bit like it was, um, you know, not all that together, and and to me that was cool. That was, you know, it, almost a slightly amateurish aspect that gave it more character. It's interesting because if you listen to the Claudio Simonetti stuff, he tends to redo Goblin songs, right? And they mm-hmm. they, they lack that. Totally. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's you have the benefit of now. Here's this piece, and now we're yeah. we're gonna quote, twenty years unquote, on polish yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just Claudio and a bunch of metal guys. Yeah. It's totally different, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some yeah. of it is really their their version of uh, Escape from New York theme is just oof. Yeah. Oof. But um, and then now there's there's two goblins, right? There's Goblin, the Claudio Simonetti, right. and then Massimo Morianti's Goblin right. Reborn. Right. Um, and they're both doing Goblin stuff. And then taking a cue from that, another guy who's iconic to the horror side of things, uh, Fabio Fruzzi. Right is touring as well as is John Carpenter doing a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, and we live in this time where, at, at, at one time, had you suggested John Carpenter, for example, oh, tour as a music project, people would have thought you were stoned. They look your at the head. they look at the Big Trouble in Little China thing that <laughs> they did. Big Trouble. Uh, yeah. Big Little China. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Um, my favorites are are probably always going to be um, 
Oh, it's going to be the soundtracks for the uh, the uh, uh, Man with No Name trilogy. Oh, sure. Uh, Ecstasy sure. of the Gold is my favorite piece of music in any genre, anywhere, irregardless, like separate from. I almost used the word irregardless, which doesn't <laughs> I know. exist. That's okay. I heard. I heard it coming. Yeah. <laughs> um, regardless of the of the films, uh, that piece of music just. Sure. Uh, go on YouTube. Look up Alessandro Alessandroni. There's a and whistle. He does yeah. that a whistle thing. It's just him on a guitar, just whistling, and it's fucking. Amazing. It's amazing. It is amazing. Mm. Uh, I guess we can just kind of keep moving around as we do. A couple of things I want to bring up because I I would be remiss not to. The biggest one, Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. Not Dude. a score per se, but goddamn, it it, yep. it it almost creates its own movie. Without any visuals, just right. listening to uh, that record. Yeah, and it's, he's touring with it, and there's been several versions of it launched. Um, but that, that was one of those records I just remember putting it on and just with the album, just staring and looking over every little bit of it. And Phil Lynott is the preacher, is the bomb. Mm. Um, another one, let's see. I want to mention Christopher Young who's another one he did like his score his opening score for Hellraiser 2 Hellbound yeah that bomb that big choral thing mm-hmm. god fucking if we're, if we're if we're doing Hellraiser we have to talk about Coil yes that was the next <laughs> one on my list uh, Songs for Raising Hell my god Jesus right if only I know I mean that was I, I, I happen to love Coil from you know right the way through but um, brilliant brilliant band but Man, what a genius idea to have them score that film, and and, and I just cannot heap endless en- endless enough amounts of shit on the people who decide not to do that. It's like when they stripped the, the Jerry Goldsmith Legend score and they replaced it with Tangerine Dream. Right. Who I'm a I'm perfectly happy with Tangerine Dream. They did a great job. They did a great job on the keep, an otherwise terrible movie, but the score was really cool. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Look at uh, look at their work on Sorcerer. Well, and 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 that's amazing. That's that's what you find a lot, right? And you were talking, you know, uh, we were talking about um, prior to, to recording, talking about Jodorowsky's Dune, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes the coolest person doing this, the coolest person doing that, the coolest person doing that, that, and that doesn't work because it's all its own things. And remember, your making this final product. So you can't just... Let's say, for example, you really dig... Um, oh, I don't know. Um, I'll, 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 I'll refer to myself. Let's say you really dig Rush. Yeah. You know, and you love Rush's music. And you want to make... You're, you're making this movie. You're this director, and you're making this movie. And you're like... Rush would be perfect for this, not realizing yeah. that Rush's music, while it may speak to you, um, and it's got to fit tonally, right? It's exactly. Not like I need Rush. Absol- to, I need Rush to score my dinner with Andre. It's like <laughs> <laughs> that. Wow. Yeah, I know. Wow. Right? Okay. Uh, Where say as opposed uh, to I'll somebody, be redoing that at three in the morning. <laughs> as opposed to somebody like Danny Elfman, yeah, who clearly. Clearly understands counterpoint. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Oh, my my God, yeah. But, I mean, he 
you know, with the filmmaker that he works with the most, Tim Burton, totally gets they they're they're in sync for yeah. lack of a better word, and and they're focused on making this final product together. Certainly, a little too much of a good thing there, but uh, but I I agree in in general. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Elfman's scores tend to run together a bit, and definitely it's that sort of very Russian influenced kind of sound. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oompa, yeah, yeah. Oompa, oompa. Yeah, yeah, there was a little of you found that this is not really soundtrack stuff, but you found that in uh, when Steve I found uh, Gypsy Dance wedding music, and suddenly it was all over his records. Right. Uh, <laughs> I also want to throw out Hans Zimmer. Sure. Who seems to be well, doing everything? Well, it, well, I, and and there's a point to it. Um, I know you're not quite as big of a fan of the Nolan uh, Batman trilogy as I am, mm. uh, but I thought it was a masterful score. Mm. Um, I thought he did a really, really solid job with it. There was a lot of tension, and the themes were consistent, and it was suitably moving for me. It was like, you know, I know we all have our different iteration of bats, but um, he he, he kind of nailed it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he, I, I, in my opinion, it was way more, way more uh, uh, efficient job than Elfman. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, I mean, I think Elfman was always pushing back against the 60s Batman, and, and a lot of it was all of it being taken seriously, and I think Nolan was comfortable in that, going like, yeah, we're going to take it seriously, and, and the audience followed him. Um, I don't dislike, I'm not a big fan of Rises, I'll tell you that. I've um, seen, was it Rocky 3 or 4 that you compared it to, if I remember correctly? <laughs> yeah, probably. That sounds like something sh- shitty I'd say. <laughs> Um, but I, I think, you know, Jesus, uh, Ledger's Joker is fucking iconic. Um, I agree completely. Here, okay, I'm going to pull from the news again really quickly, because this was talking about, there's been talk about a Scorsese Joker movie. Reddit side. Yeah. He wants Leonardo DiCaprio as the Joker. Talk about Uh, not getting it. No, bad idea. No, yeah, really bad idea. I think it's a totally bad idea. Um, now, Scorsese doing a Joker film, I wouldn't necessarily have an issue with. Uh, it was, but but DiCaprio, no, no, no. I no, would no, rather no. Scorsese do like a, a a film if it hadn't already been done, like a Daredevil film, something set in New York. That would be the shit. <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, for uh, a Joker movie, I don't know, man. I don't, it, I don't it, know. At the very least, it'll be interesting to see what. Scorsese mm-hmm. imagines a Joker film is. I I wanted to mention um, um, Kitaro's uh, soundtrack for uh, Heaven and Earth. Oh yeah, Kitaro's music is that weird. You know, it's like I can get tired of it really fast. Like I like really it, fast. but but you know, it's kind of this constant thing that yeah. doesn't ever change. He's a guy who like if I played different tracks from different records, you. You couldn't tell them apart, right? Exactly, but they're they're beautiful. There's a few exceptions. There's like, um, uh, like Kojiki is like heavy, heavy, heavy on the drums, and that's different from a lot of his ethereal stuff. But anyway, the the movie Heaven and Earth uh, with um, Tommy Lee Jones, Mm -hmm. uh, the music, Kitaro's music for that particular album, anyways, so perfectly fits what's going on on screen. So if you haven't, if you ever haven't That's checked a good it out, film too. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good film. Uh, any others? Because I got a ton. Well, you probably hate me for this. <laughs> While you're looking at William, give me one more. Uh, Twenty-eight days later, um, John Murphy. 
Um, wow. And uh, a, a cue that was so good that they reused it. Gas. Um, <laughs> that uh, uh, that was uh, the Radioheadish kind of feeling tune. It was uh, in the house in a heartbeat. Really iconic, brilliant, brilliant piece of music. Right on, right on. James Horner. Sure. Oh yeah, I'm a James Horner whore. Like I, I, <laughs> I like. The music for Titanic. I like the music for Braveheart. Yeah, it it, it speaks. No brainer. Me. Yeah, I'm yeah. with you. Real rousing. Yeah. Uh, another name. I mean, I always go backwards, so I'm going to say another name that I. None of our lives would be the same without this guy, Carl Stalling. Oh. Did all the oh, other absolutely. Stuff. Yeah. 100%. Absolutely. That stuff. I can't hear. Dun 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 dun. Without dun, 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 going, dun, dun, dun. yeah, that's totally all of yeah. this stuff. Yeah, one hundred percent, absolutely. Yep, yep, yep. Um, let's see. I have him. A little like people like uh, Mark Snow, who did the the X Files theme. That's iconic. That's sure, what sure. Like as soon as you see it, you know that's what's funny is that uh, a lot of times finding that that thing that makes it work isn't about. Um, this big orchestration or um, uh, you know the grand opus that you're writing as much as it is finding that simple melody mm-hmm. that is going to stick in, in people's heads and, and match what's happening on film. Right, right. There's a great documentary called The Boys about these two guys that uh, wrote like every Disney thing. Mm-hmm. Um, whistle while you work, and you know all of that stuff. Right. Um, and you can get that. You can get that through Netflix. You can't stream it, but it's 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 real great. Um, uh, some some of the greatest scores ever are based around really simple things. A lot of the stuff that we got in the eighties um, was based around the simplest melodies. You know, your phantasm, that Fred Myro bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Same thing. You know, it's really really simple melodies. But yeah. they're iconic. They stay in your brain. Look at Mancini's Pink Panther. Like immediately, oh, you hear that first dun, dun, that first yeah. chord, yeah. and you're like, that, and mm-hmm. and it immediately sets up how you feel. It mm-hmm. sets up what you're, what to expect. Um, Justifies your wish to see Steve Martin beaten with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Well, the Twin Peaks. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, oh yeah, 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 absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. It's just absolutely. like it's a couple of notes, and that's it. You know. Yeah. But really rich, hanging in the air, kind of ambient yeah, stuff. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. What else? Are we. I'm just gonna. I could go through. I have a, so much stuff here that it's just crazy. You guys did a Mad Max Fury Road episode. Did you talk about the Junkie XL soundtrack? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> talk about you. You don't get that film without that score. No. Jesus Christ. Nope. No There's way. a track no called way. Blood Drive that. Gee, yep. it'll rock your socks off. Um, I was asking my son that, like, the summer that that came out, I'm like, "So, what are you into, man? Like, what are you, what are you listening to these days?" He's like, "Man, it's all Fury Road, Fury Road, all man." Day, all night. <laughs> 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 That's so funny. Um, what do we think about like rocks? We kind of hit it with Toto and a couple other like rock stars um, doing scores, like David Burns' um, Last Emperor. I, in 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 my opinion, it rarely works. But it can work. But when it does work, it it uh, it works well. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, yeah. It's pretty few and far between. Um, it doesn't it doesn't happen often. Because again, you're talking about 
somebody who's doing their own thing, mm-hmm. separate from film, and a filmmaker who's doing his own thing, and like you know, sometimes two great things that taste good separately don't necessarily go together well. You know, I right. like jelly. You know, I like grape jelly, mm-hmm. and I really like crab. But I'm not going to mix nah, the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to name another name, and everyone's going to look at me blankly. There's a guy named Stelvio Cipriani. He's a Italian guy. Oh, my God, I love that guy. <laughs> <laughs> he did the score for, like, a lot of Baba stuff. And a okay. lot of, like, oh, Big, okay. Big right. Alligator River. He did Twitch of the Death Nerve. And he's one of those guys that ca- has, really nails that sort of... I, I always think of it as groovy, like... 60s kind of vibe to it. Sure, sure. Um, I love that guy. Uh, Big Alligator River is a really shitty movie, but the score is good. What a great title, though. Yeah. Big got, Alligator River. It's got, uh, God, is it Barbara Bach? And it literally is like pontoon boats on river cruises, and there's like a 50 foot <laughs> alligator that just starts eating people. Yeah. I love movies that have titles that are just like. There's a in the lead are. there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Piranha. I got it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Big it. ass you, spider. Yeah, you just saw you just saw the movie. <laughs> uh, let's see. Do we have more? I got more. Dude, we can. Uh, I know we can go on and yeah, on. There's a couple of things like recently the score to Pacific Rim really got me going. Oh sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't see it. Haven't uh, seen it. Uh oh, really? It's a it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. I just remember, here's a guy who I never really saw, Pino Donaggio. I always saw his scores like for Dress to Kill, and it wasn't until years later, but he was one of those people. Sure. Where, I mean, I didn't want this to turn into, like, hey, you know, this guy and this guy, but well, we're kind of... Marauder. Like, oh, I was just... Uh, Midnight Express, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Cat yeah. people. Yeah, oh, dude. Yep, 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 yep. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Um, here's an underappreciated one, I'll say, from the 70s. Does anybody remember the movie Lipstick? I yeah, that's remember the Margot the... Hemingway. Yeah, that's the one. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Michelle Polnareff. This guy threw in this bizarre avant-garde synth thing in the most disturbing scenes of the film, and despite only having seen it once as a kid in the theater, still remember that score like yesterday. I was going to say, the fact that the, you remember that, like... Speaks to the power of soundtrack, and that's and that's the thing, isn't it? Is that like a good soundtrack? Um, like William was saying earlier, you remember, even though you may not have sat, bought the album, and listened to it, you remember it. Uh, maybe reinforced by the visual images that you're getting sure. at, at the at the same time. One of my favorite soundtracks uh, or scores, I don't, I'm not sure what to call this one. Uh, ever is the um, the score to uh, Shogun Assassin. Oh yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh hell yeah! Compiled uh, thing from the Lone Wolf and Cub movies. Man, I, to this day, like I, I, whenever I start getting in a groove and I'm doing something, whether it's training wise or whether it's doing some manual labor, whatever it is, I in my head. It's that's what keeps me going. You know, we were talking about bad eighty scores. You know, all of that stuff. Most of it, I lay at the feet. Harold Faltermeyer, the Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. That guy, that guy needs to just be 
publicly flogged for what, <laughs> what that turned into. Man, there were so many, right? Like, there, uh, I will I will admit to driving really fast and listening to I, I'm so excited. I'll totally admit to driving really fast uh, listening to uh, Jan Hammer. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Miami Vice thing. That's interesting. Let's talk about that just for a second because we're completely right We're, we're off the rails. Um, the relationship of film scores and driving... Like, how many times have you put on, like, like the Baby Driver soundtrack while you're... Well, that's a little new, but... Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the soundtrack to Bullet. Try doing that in driving. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> anyway. Well, that I, speaks yep. to the power of music, is that it, it Look is... Look at you. Is, Just putting a bow on it. <laughs> that well, music, I, you know, drives so much of uh, ourselves... Yeah. And e, how we feel emotional. Well, well, I, 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 go ahead. No, ironically, the the driving thing. I think there's a lot of scores coming out currently that really kind of fit right in. I think in the era of Grand Theft Auto, <laughs> there's right. that element that finds its way into a lot of scores now. So you have your you know bits from The Dark Knight, bits from Dread, uh, mm-hmm. bits from uh, definitely Fury Road and like Wonder Woman. A lot of current scores that have these really heavy sort of Tycho laden very martial feeling kind of uh, movements to them that totally go into like cranking down the street and, you know, with a throaty V8. Right on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to keep this list and we're going to come back to this at some point. <laughs> okay. Because it, clearly I got so much stuff here that we've kind of glossed over. Um, we're doing that lately. Like the biopic show, we're like, holy shit, there's no way we're going to talk no about way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's why we split up westerns, the spaghetti westerns. Too. Right, that right. Been the same thing. Yeah. Um, William, where can people get in touch with you about and learn more about all of the stuff you're doing, um, especially the new record when it comes out? Um, well, the main website for that is going to be uh, thebellweathersyndicate.com. Right on. And are you? T- I, I know you had toured with the March Violets and a couple of other people. Are you? Are you doing any of that stuff? Yeah, I, I did a full album with them, um, and uh, and we did we did tour. Um, but uh, Violets, are, due to health issues, are kind of on hiatus. So um, right at this at this point in time, it's uh, it's the Bellwether Syndicate all the way. That's that's where all my gas is. And um, uh, the permaculture stuff is, is there a place for that, or is there a place you can point people to go to learn more? Yeah, I have another website for that, um, and that is Genius Loki permaculture.com so that's g-e-n-i-u-s-l-o-c-i permaculture.com right on cool well dude thank you thanks for coming thanks, for, thanks for having me y'all this was a blast and you are and you and I always say this at the end yeah, of every show you, but are, you are invited back, back anytime. anytime I'd love to do a martial arts cinema movie with, uh, episode yeah. with you basically anytime. The, the way the show works is like a, you know the, the, there's a guest label and then you know that virgin line is crossed, yeah. and, and now you're part of the camp. So yeah, it's like <laughs> now you get a T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so we're gonna go. We'll be back. And uh, thanks again, William. You, thanks, man. Thanks. I love you, man. Thanks, you guys. Love you back. All we'll right. talk soon. Uh, right now, enjoy this.
Okay, we're back, and uh, we're going to move on to news and stuff. Right. Um, I uh, I love William, but uh, that that topic I think is a is broader than I initially expected. So sure. again, we're going to reschedule some some stuff, and maybe later we'll we'll readdress that yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. A part two. Um, as far as deaths go, there were some heavies this week, yeah. and we're going to do these pretty quickly. One no one was talking about was Melissa Bell. She was the lead singer for Soul to Soul. Uh-huh. Um, in her 40s, I want to say, and, and she recently passed. Uh, Shelley Berman, who most of you people aren't probably aware of, but he was in the 60s. He was what was called, he called himself a sit-down comic. Because unlike a stand-up, he would bring out a stool and sit down. Right, right. Not quite a Dave Allen storyteller. I, I was just going to say, kind of like a Dave Allen guy. But yeah, yeah. It wasn't so much like that. It was more contemporary. More, again, names that are lost to time. Yeah, like he's Mort telling Saul jokes. And yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but he died. And uh, Richard Anderson, who... Um, Oscar from... Six Million Dollar Man, Million Dollar Bionic Man. Woman. Yeah. yeah, he was he was more of that movie helper we talk about. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was always just kind Which of. Which is weird because he's not he wasn't a, a particularly distinctive looking guy because mm-hmm. a lot of times character actors, it's all about their face. Yeah. Um, he was good at being the suit. Yes. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the guy that shows up and offers authority. Right. And, da, 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 da. and then finally, the big one this week was Tobe Hooper. Yeah. Who, uh, I, I don't know if he'd been sick or not, but it kind of came out of nowhere. It did. Um, especially when, I, I, and it escapes me at the moment, but it seemed like he had been doing something recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and, you know, he's one of those guys that I always felt like got uh, the short end of the stick because of stuff like, his involvement with um, Poltergeist, for example. Sure. Where, you know, it's always been, you know, the, up who, in the air. Who, who's actually directing this movie? Right. And, and, but, you know, we have him to thank for some really cool stuff. Sure. And, um, you know, uh, Funhouse and that creature in Funhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, Guys, just remember seeing it on a Fango cover. Right? It's just like this huge... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think... He was one of those guys, you know, that happens a lot in Hollywood, where his first film came out of nowhere. Right. It was such a... I mean, it's undeniable that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is, is a visceral horror film. Um, I think where Toby Hooper fell into problems is everything after that. Right. Um, eating Alive. Eating Alive, you know, other than other than the fun of seeing, you know, Neville Brand screaming in a in up to his waist in water. Right. Um it's pretty forgettable. Yeah. Poltergeist, yeah, okay. I I think it's pretty clear tonally that he was just kind of there doing someone else's bidding. Right. But when you look at some of the other stuff, fucking Invaders from Mars is fucking terrible and Invaders from Mars is terrible. Uh, and it's one of those horrible movies that has a dear place in my heart. And we've <laughs> talked about that before. Yeah. Like some of those uh, we respect good movies, but we love bad movies because we can see the heart. Yeah, it's like the picking the ugliest puppy in the litter. Right, know? exactly. Uh, uh, but you know, I think that he he did get the short end of the stick a lot of times. He didn't get the deals he should have. He didn't get the respect he deserved. Right. Um, people love to shit on Life Force, and I don't I don't think it's any dumb. Dude, I think Life Force is fucking awesome. Yeah, I don't it's, think it's any bad, good, bad, or indifferent than 
most of the other films being made. But just right. people love to shit on it. Uh, you know? I I've always been a big fan. Um, there's there's that scene with that uh, with that winged. Yeah, and that's like yeah. fucking badass. It's yeah. like it, it, the whole movie's worth it for that shot for me. That and the girl is always naked. Yeah. So if, that, if that's important to that's, you, that's, then then that that's it in spades. But there was all that stuff. Remember again in Fango, there was all those images of her sucking the life force out yeah. of the guy, and mm-hmm. he was left this sort of desiccated hulk. That husband. that uh, yeah, that zombie looking. Yeah. 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 So that's 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 too bad. I mean, you know, it's sad when anyone passes, but it, especially when you think you think of the career they could have and in some ways should have had. Right. That, that is important. Uh, moving on to news. Um, Simpsons fired their music guy after uh, 20-something years, Alf Clausen. Okay. And then the very next day, they, they they walked that back and said that he would still, quote, have a role in the show. And I made a joke that the role will probably be, uh, hey, is there any more coffee? And I think the toner <laughs> is low. Um, but they're kind of walking it back. But this is a guy who... Other than the score to you know the the Simpsons, the Simpsons that Elfman did, yeah, it's talk about iconic music. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So that um, I'm sure they'll work that out. Uh, the next thing was about Ray Ratzinger from Wumpscut. It was an industrial band. And I wanted to get Williams' thing on it, but I, I neglected to ask him about it. But he came out this week and said that they're the band, which is a seminal industrial band, right? Isn't going to make any music anymore because. Making records and touring is just a losing proposition it's for just, them. Yeah, it's just too hard for musicians. And I, w- I wonder what that says broader. Does it does it further separate, you know, the, uh, the 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 people who can afford to launch multi million dollar tours from the people who are touring in their bus? Does it? Yeah. But I think it's it's more of the sign of the times, right? Everything's yeah, absolutely. Changing in the way people get. And I think things. I think eventually what's going to happen is we're we're not going to have. Um, bands performing mm-hmm. uh, I- anymore. Uh, well, having said that, um, any band will tell you the only way to make money now is to tour. tour. Yeah, but it's even then, you know. Most of the people that are making money these are these these mega tours, these you know Journey and Ario Speedwagon and and that kind of thing. Where where music of the day, I mean, they're making money too, but. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's it, mu- music distribution and how to make money off of your art. Clearly, <laughs> I don't know shit about. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. a weird. It's a weird. Uh, weird world. Uh, let's see. Po- they're they're coming up with a Pokemon Go game for Walking Dead. Alright, I which, don't care. Which I assume is with your phone and you... Somebody's already done that. There was a zombie... Oh, was it? ...thing where you're walking around and finding zombies. Yeah, 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 where you're holding it up like a viewer yeah. as you walk down the hallway. Yeah. And it, it maps your the interior of your house and it adds ghosts and stuff like right. that. Yeah. There's a lot of people that are talking about that stuff, about how... It isn't. It may not be such a great idea to have shit mapping your house. I'm so uh, out of touch. Like, uh, it, like I, I'm at work, and like the people I work with, like all they talk about are video games. Mm-hmm. I have no, I have no idea, no idea what the <laughs> fuck they're talking about. Yeah, and it's, it's, I'm level bronze. And oh, I'm like, I, I, I'm like, yeah, you yeah, pain very cool. I will say oh, this. No, I don't. I, <laughs> I just like that. You kids and your 
<laughs> your your Sega Genesis. I just tell them it's stupid and you should punch somebody. <laughs> um, speaking of that, I found on the internet on on YouTube uh, their playthrough videos. Speaking of video games, their playthrough videos where you watch. It's weird. Twitch. It's you. It's a Twitch network where you watch people play video games. Oh my god. Yeah. There's this whole subculture of thing. Things. Yeah. They're making money off of it. I know. You know it's, it's nuts. It's fucking amazing. But there's a guy, I want to say his name is Big Mooney. He's from Scotland. And he does these cool, there's a game Hitman where you're a, you're a hitman. Right. Um, but he does these cool playthroughs of specific levels. I know I'm losing you. Um, <laughs> specific levels where instead of going into the level and saying, here are three people you have to kill. What he does is the kill everyone challenge. So he ends up slaughtering like hundreds of people in this place. Shoot a couple people, head off, go to another room, shoot a couple people. And it's a, it, it inspires this weird headspace because you're like, you're, you're, it's, like a, it's like a school shooting or a workspace right. shooting. Well, I'm, not, I'm still not totally unconvinced that some of this stuff... It might be dangerous. <laughs> ah, I'm yeah. still, I'm still, I'm still having that debate. Well, there are those little character things where, like, arm. There's a game, computer game. Um, I'll keep this short. Arma Two, where there's a mod for it, where you can replace all of the whatever the, the monsters mm. with zombies. And what they were finding was that you would be, you the the game was you got dropped in this world and you tried to survive. And what they were finding was is that people were getting together, forming gangs, and they were forming like roving packs that would kill noobs and take all their shit. And it was really sort of betraying of the of the human. Of what was uh, you know, what, what it was intention? People. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is kind of weird. Um, Steven Soderbergh at one point wanted to remake Matango, the mushroom people movie. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, that's really weird. Yeah. I really like that movie. Yeah, like, uh, it's fun. But it, it it is the type of movie that if you're gonna remake a movie, that's the kind of movie you you remake. Yeah, and I would love to see it. Imagine that movie played like super straight. Yeah, you know, right? Super like like Alien Covenant with mushroom people. Dude, I want to see like the new version of the Green Slime. What is that? Oh my God, have you not seen the Green Slime? No, it's like this weird. Uh, Japanese American uh, production. They're they're in the space station, and there are these green things with red eyes, and they're just kind of flopping around. And it has this crazy. Oh my God! You got to look up the soundtrack or the main song for the Green Slime. Okay. Oh, trust me, you'll love it. <laughs> so you'll, excited. You will love it, dude. That's I, right on. That is right on. <laughs> right on. Um, yeah, it's those films that you know you'd love to see. Again, I have a fond remembrances of a, uh, an old movie called Navy versus the Night Monsters. They played it on Creature Features because it they rip a guy's arm off, and I was like, <laughs> "What? That's yeah, crazy." Uh, let's see, new Patton Oswalt comedy special coming to Netflix on October seventeenth. I bring that up because uh, it sort of rough, briefly touches on the Ask the Embalmer panel that I, I do. Sure. Um, in this, he talks at great length about the death of his wife and about getting over that sure sure moving on and, and dealing with grief and Patton's awesome and, and so it's October 17th and so um, I think that's kind of cool cool uh, Elvira releases her own clothing line called El- Elvira for Couture for Everybody um, I've looked at the the designs um, think the mall store Torrid okay it's like goth clothing 
four plus size. Um, uh, they're not particularly, they didn't look particularly well-made or particularly couture, but, you know, they, they didn't look like shit. Right. Okay. So there's that. I know. There's, uh, well, there's a certain, uh, so anytime that somebody, like, you know, Elvira is, yeah. is uh, marketing clothing, I mean, it's like, there's, there's, no matter how serious she might be, yeah. About it. It's like pop stars in perfume. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. But good for her, marketing wise. But well, I mean, other than appearing at cons, there's not. What much else she's, does she have going yeah, on? Yeah, she's not yeah. much doing much sure, else. Sure. Um, I interviewed her once, and she was a m- really super fun. Yeah. As you would expect. Yeah. Uh, I w- I will say that I was surprised that I expected like a. a a like product knowledge to rival someone on this show, but mm-hmm. um, it wasn't that she was she was hitting the hits of, yeah, yeah. of a certain era. Let's see, Sam Rockwell is going to play W George W Bush in a Dick Cheney bio. There's a Dick Cheney bio. Well, I, weird, but I'm sure he'll rock it. Yeah, where's Burgess Meredith when you need him? Right? <laughs> yeah. um, Guillermo del Toro is working on stop motion Pinocchio. Yeah, this is something that's been going on for a long time. Um, uh, Grizz Grimley was uh, doing the designs. Oh, I know Grizz. Yeah, Grizz is great. He's yeah, a yeah, super yeah, nice yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like him a lot. Um, and uh, and I don't know if that's still the case. This you know this was something from a few years ago. And then I saw where recently it's like I'm still you know Guillermo's still like mm-hmm. he's still I'm still percolating this. It's still you know in the works. He's saying now it's got a distinctly anti-fascist bend. Oh, nice. And that's something that runs through his work. Look at Devil's Backbone. Absolutely. Uh, I also hear people who have seen, what is it, Spirit in the Water? The new oh, one. The, the new one. The new movie? Yeah. They say it's fucking amazing. Dude, I cannot wait it's for this Beauty movie. It's Beauty and the Beast in space. It's, it looks so badass. Yeah, yeah It yeah, looks yeah. like, it's like, it, it's like, it's his thing. Yeah. You know? It's like, it's all him. Um, I, I was going to say... Um, you know, it's I, I'm excited whenever I hear stuff like that because uh, Leica is ramping down. Uh, oh. they're, they're you know they were cranking out movies like once a year there mm-hmm. for a while, and that's not going to be the case now. So hmm. um, uh, so they were kind of my go-to for my stop motion fix, and uh, it sounds like they might be. I I, I don't think they're going away, but they're 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 going to be doing other stuff. Sure, I imagine a film a year is hectic. It's, 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 yeah, that's hectic and because it's stop pull motion. Off. It's not exactly. It's and, not just uh, and with Travis doing the live action Bumblebee movie or whatever, I'm sure that that's going to take up a lot of time. Ah, uh, well, since you brought that up, um, Hasbro is suing DC over a use of a Bumblebee character. Okay. Um, ha- uh, it it I don't think it has much merit. It has to do with a superhero named Bumblebee and not a robot. Oh, okay. So, that's but there, Hasbro is saying that it's, it creates confusion in the marketplace, and mm-hmm. that's enough. This is weird. Netflix has announced they're going to get into a business where when they so you you're a member of Netflix, they send you your movie, and let's say your movie is uh, the first season of Stranger Things, along with it. So a little tin of something called let's let's say it's called the upside down mm-hmm. and uh it's it's weed they're gonna be selling weed through the mail what 
yeah. And there's they have different strains like indicas and sativas that are different strains that are named thematically with certain films. Obviously, only to the states where they're legal. legal. And I think there. I think <laughs> I know. It seems it, the twelve-year-old Tom is going what? <laughs> Truly, this is the best of all possible worlds. But um. I think there's still some shit that needs to get ironed out on this. Oh, well, yeah. But <laughs> that's where they're heading. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Um, this is interesting. Ed Screen, who was in Deadpool, he was he played Francis in Deadpool. Yeah. He was cast in the new Hellboy, and he found out that the character, was, the original character was Asian. Yeah, he's half Japanese. Yeah, and yeah. he turned the role down. Yeah. Big deal. This is huge. Big deal. Yeah, because this, is, this has been a problem for a long time. And uh, it, and in the last few years, in particular, there's been some glaring yeah, uh, Tilda Swinton and Doctor Strange, right, yeah, yeah. Joe Gray in the Remo Williams right, movie. Right. The worst possible example of this yellow face is Mickey Rooney in Breakfast and Tiffany's. Right. That's fucking cringing. Yeah, and that's well, and it, I think we've moved away from that. Sure. And you don't get just, that. We're just replacing. Asian characters with white characters. Yeah, and they may be. It's like Emma Stone in that one movie. She was half Japanese, and it's like you're Emma Stone. Right. Exactly. So, well, yeah. uh, you know, the ghost in the shell thing. Oh yeah, that's a perfect example. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's very cool to see an actor, particularly an actor who, while he's been in a big movie, isn't a big actor. And I think that that's why this doesn't happen more. Is the actors are like, you know, I, well, I can't turn this down. Well. Yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. You can. And now, think about, from a purely selfish point of view, for this guy who's concerned, while he may be doing it for the best of reasons, he is going to get, he's going to get some good shit out of this because yeah, 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 yeah. He, it's a smart move. Yeah, it he really has stepped up and and shown integrity. Um, I mean, we, Hollywood has a history of doing that stuff. I mean, most recently they did a gender swapped. Uh, uh, Ghostbusters. Right. They just announced this week they're doing a gender swap Lord of the Flies, which I think is is interesting. I think in many ways it's more interesting than it being all boys on the island. Sure. Because with all women on the island, there's that tapping into the to the for the feral mm-hmm. that I think is um, would make for some interesting stuff. So I'm all bo- on board for that. So I think we have a history of it. doesn't make it right. Doesn't I, It seems like a no-brainer. It's like, well, the guy is written as Asian, so make him Asian. Right. There's plenty of Asian actors it's out there. It's so simple. Yeah. Um, this this kind of makes sense. Blade Runner 2049, they released the runtime. Two hours and 32 minutes with 11 minutes of end credits. Uh, yeah, I, I totally... Totally get that. Did you see the um, yeah the short? There's a pre- not a prequel, but more of like it's it's setting up the world. Yeah, kind of it's it's uh, uh the, it's cool because the director's on prior to and saying, look, I I have these other filmmaker artist friends, and uh, I want to show some of the stuff that's happened between Blade Runner and my movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're doing that with these short films. So fucking cool! Yeah, it was so good. Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. don't. I do, I wish I remembered who the the director was who made it. That it was really good. It really captured the uh, atmosphere and spirit of the first Blade Runner. Right on. I'm. Yeah. It goes without saying that I'm looking forward to this. Uh, the Tick is out on Amazon and doing well. 
Yeah. Uh, ben Edlin, the creator, says he has a five-year arc. Yeah. Planned, which well, he's been true. he's been mining this particular well mm-hmm. pretty much his whole adult life. Yeah, they're saying this new thing is it really hits it even better than the other one. I didn't think that was possible. I didn't think so either because I thought the other one, all the stuff that I've seen, all the commercial or the, um, you know, the ads for the new show, have not done anything. Yeah. Yeah, they just didn't feel. Yeah. So I'm wondering if maybe that's me losing the plot as an old man, or if it is really, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I haven't seen any, but I'm interested in it. Yeah. I, I, w- I agree. When I saw the guy speak as a tick, it's like, oh. Yeah. Uh, Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder are doing a wedding comedy. No one cares. Okay. Um, <laughs> remember Jumper? The movie Jumper? Yeah. It's coming to TV from Doctor Who producer, and it's going to star Jamie Bell, who is just recently the thing in the Fantastic Four. Yeah, uh, Jamie Bell. I like Jamie Bell a lot. Um, I thought they did that already with, uh, what was the series, um, shoot, where they would they, they would go through time. Quantum Leap? No, not Quantum Leap. The one that starred the kid from uh, Stand By Me in Joe's apartment. What's that kid's name? Oh, Sliders. Sliders, thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't... Jumper wasn't terrible. I mean, as I remember, Hayden Christensen, Samuel Jackson. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't terrible. No. But it wasn't great. And it was, so It's what I think of a lot of movies nowadays. I'm like, that's... Yeah, yeah. And I think what happens with a lot of these films is when they realize that we ain't going to get another movie out of this, so maybe we can adapt it to... I mean, Kevin Smith's doing it, trying to do it with Mallrats. Right. Trying to do it with, yeah. And then finally they announced uh, True Detective Season 3 is a go. Nick, whatever his name is, Paoletti, yeah. is they're letting him direct. Uh, normally, I, I wasn't a big fan of season two. Right. Um, but the thing that makes this one, this season interesting, too, is, number one, the guy who played Copperhead in Luke Cage is, is, is uh, in it. Um, and uh, one of the creative voices in all this is Jeremy Saulnier, who did The Green Room. Yeah, it, it, and it's, I mean, just from the um, uh, premise, mm-hmm. um, it sounds like a return to form to the first season. Sure, so. and, uh, uh, and and that was, that first season is one of my favorite things ever on television, so. Yeah. I'm, I'm all about it. Uh, it's taking place in the Ozarks, which oh, even hits... More even a, better, a and it, and it, the the main actor is black, so yeah, black guy in Arkansas is a cop. I'm in. I'm gonna try, and I'm gonna fuck this up without having the name in front of me. Um, Ali. Uh, yeah. Masha. I, I can't remember. I, Dang it! And forgive me. Yeah, <laughs> but sorry, buddy. He's a great actor. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he was great in in Luke Cage. He was know. great in a lot of stuff. Yeah, My yeah. the first thing that Isn't I ever he saw in Moonlight. I want to say he's in Moonlight. Yeah. yeah. Well, the first thing that I ever saw him in was uh, uh, Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and he's great. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Uh, moving on to trailers, there was there was a shit ton, and I and I cut it down as best I could. Okay. So I want to go through these pretty quickly. Yes. Welcome to Willits. Um, think horror. Think LSD. Think aliens. Yeah. Uh, cool. Um. I'm at least I'm I'm at least interested. Hey, there's fucking monsters in it, so. And they look like practical. Yeah, monsters. they look like practical monsters. Uh, it's something about 
some guy uh, who some kids go out someplace. They run into a dude who's been doing this weird hillbilly drug. Yeah, and it's making made him paranoid, and he's seeing shit. And we don't know if the shit's real or if yeah, yeah. it's not. So. Yeah, a lot of it. It felt like a not as good, but it it some of it reminded me of Bug. A we little bit, yeah, 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 yeah. And and the other thing about it, I, I wanted to say with that particular trailer, I feel like is one of those trailers that showed us too much because we know now from the trailer that he's off his rocker and killing people, right? Which that should have been. I wish they wouldn't. Have done yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Next up, killing Gunther, comedy with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, really silly. Yeah. Um. But you know, I mean, if you're if you're into that kind of thing, it looks funny. It I looks mean, like Arnold's having a hell of a time. Yeah, it looks like he's having a blast. And uh, I I like what I watch. It's a com. It's always a good thing for me when I watch a trailer for a comedy and I don't think, well, this is stupid. Yeah. Because I oh, comedy's hard. Um, but this was I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on board with this. Uh, uh, Arnold plays a hitman, an infamous hitman, like the most the the most famous hitman. And there's a team of, uh, looks like buffoons, who are out to kill him. And yeah, there's a bunch of them. Yeah. It, it kind almost of looks like a reality show. We're like, yeah. we're following these guys as yeah, they're yeah, trying yeah, yeah. to kill this hitman. I kept thinking things like, um, uh, you know, from the other side of things, kind of John Wick. You know? Kind of. You know, all yeah, these yeah, assassins yeah. trying to get this one guy. Yeah. Um, but Arnold is just... I love to see Arnold just laughing and, and being violent. And just ridiculously yeah. violent and fun. Uh, next up, it's a Netflix series called Wormwood. It's about testing of LSD um, that by the CIA. That looks really cool. Yeah. Uh, it's directed by Errol Morris. Mm -hmm. um, it's difficult to tell from the trailer. You know, Errol Morris makes amazing documentaries. Um, but he's also dipped his toe into narrative stuff, too. And sometimes you get like this weird amalgamation of the two. Um, it's difficult to tell from the trailer what this is exactly as far as that goes, mm -hmm. the type of storytelling, but I'm fascinated by the story. Well, there was real testing done by right. the CIA in San Francisco in the 60s. Yeah. And they were, it was funny, they, were, they would take these uh, agents and go, we're going to give you some LSD and we're going to see what it does to you. And then they would give them enough LSD to just drop an elephant. Right. And then wonder, you know, look how dangerous this drugs is as exactly. this guy bounces off the walls for yeah, three yeah, days. Yeah. Um, and now now come full circle to today where microdosing is a regular thing. Right. So it's, it, I think that would be interesting. Uh, Mark Felt, Liam Neeson, and looks like the development of the CIA. We have seen this trailer before mm -hmm. on this show. It was um, a little clip of it. Little, yeah, it was like a little uh, conversation or something. Um... I don't know. For some people, I, I'm sure this will be fine. I really don't give a fuck. Yeah, like, political thriller kind just, of thing. Um, the Dexter's in it in a pair of horn horned rim glasses. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. It, it wasn't. It's not knocking me out. Um, but it, um, yeah, you know, if you're in a mood for Liam Neeson and not watch, wanting to see him punch people, right. This might be the way to go. A uh, documentary on women in the military called Serve Like a Girl. That looks great. Looks great. Yeah. I love the fact there's a girl in the trailer. She's all like, what do you think we were doing over here? We weren't doing laundry or, or cooking. Right. You know, I was on patrol. When they're, when they're talking about, you know, now finally women can, you right. know, be... And, and, and she, you see this chick rolling her eyes like, mm -hmm. you're an idiot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean... Listen, I am not afraid or, or embarrassed to say that 
I've had my ass kicked <laughs> by a girl. And um, uh, it really drove home. It's like, you know, anatomy ultimately comes down to people are people. And you've got two legs and two arms that get, get along so often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, Valley of the Bones. Uh, archaeologist finds huge uh, fossil deposits, enlists the aid of a local who she doesn't know has run afoul of some drug dealers. Right. Um, interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, for me, probably... a you know, rental or catch it on, on yeah. I'm not going to go to the theater and no. see it. Um, but it's on it, Netflix, sure. Um, it, but it, you know, but it speaks to, you know, people who are into paleontology will probably get something out of it. People who are into thrillers the will get something out of fans it. Fans of like, the whole Indiana Jones thing, the archaeologist thing, right. the yeah, yeah, yeah. Jurassic Park thing, yeah. I don't think there's going to be any dinosaurs, but I think that there's, I like the idea of there. The thing that's of value isn't just a load of money or drugs. Right. It's just weird. This like, where are you gonna pawn? Yeah, right. <laughs> T Rex. Exactly. Um, next up, movie with Vince Vaughn called Brawl in Cell Block Ninety Nine. I couldn't tell from this trailer what were what it's supposed to be. I it, like. Is he a skinhead? Is he? Uh, I, I don't get... The trailer did a poor job of, of letting me know who this guy is. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, while Vince Vaughn looks cool as a badass... Yeah, which it's was very uh, Kingpin. Kingpin made me think yeah. of American History X yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, a yeah. little bit. Well, I forgot that Vince Vaughn's like 6'4". He's a huge guy. He's a big dude. Yeah. And so it, it kind of explains the swagger in a weird way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, he's walking around with a shaved head with a cross, like mm-hmm. a, a crucifix tattooed on the back of his head. And almost, yeah, almost. And he, he's, there's, like, a line where it's like, are you a patriot? Like, I don't know if he's, if he's, like, Trump America. I, yeah, it's I very know. difficult to tell from this trailer. Yeah, all, I mean, the trailers basically shows a lot of him, like, Punching a window on a car. Right, he's obviously got upset some about something. Issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Amazon new Amazon series called Tin Star with Tim Roth. This kind of looks like everything else. On, yeah. On TV. It's a. Uh, it's a. Uh, uh, he's he's in Canada mm-hmm. from the UK investigating. Uh, an oil company possibly orchestrating a murder of an activist. Right. So that sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, it's... Uh, he was great. He did a movie called... Or a TV show called Lie to Me about a guy who could tell when you're lying. Right, yeah. Tim, and it was solid. Yeah. Until they they got in there and started to change things and fucked it up. Yeah. But Tim Roth's great. If you don't doubt that, look at Rob... Fucking Rob Roy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or look at him as uh, uh, the... The general in uh, Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes, which is a horrible movie, but Tim Roth is great. Well worth seeing yeah. for the Tim Roth thing. Um, and we, when we say that, I know there's several Planet of the Apes. We're talking about the Tim Burton the, one. Yeah, the Tim Burton one. Uh, documentary on the making of Psycho called 78 Shots, 52 Cuts. I am so there. I, I am know. all over this. I'm My one complaint, and I understand why they did it, is they, it seems like they have an actor doing the voice of Hitchcock. Um, but that's okay. Uh, a small gripe, I think. It, it, yeah, yeah. In watching it, I'm like, that's not a Hitchcock. But yeah, if you're going to dissect anything, 
I mean, it, I don't know that it, they just center on the shower on scene, the shower scene, or whether the, the they do the entire film. But I'm I'm in. Yeah. Um. Uh, documentary called Dream Boat about uh, people who live in let's say Muslim countries that go on gay cruises. Yeah, it, it seems like um, the, the the gay cruises is is, uh, is the only time of the year that they get to be themselves. Mm -hmm. It looks heartbreaking, is what it. Yeah, it does. Yeah. There's it a guy great. that's talking about like um, I'm I'm Palestinian, you know I can't be gay in my where I live. Right. And so I go on these cruises because for a week, two weeks. I can be... I can be who, do whatever I, can, I want. I can be myself, yeah. And, uh, it looks amazing. Yeah, heartbreaking is yeah. a good another good term. Uh, and then two two that I'm really excited about. Number one, it's it was under... They had a name for it, um, but I don't remember what it was, but uh, the title card said A Beautiful Day. It's the Joaquin Phoenix assassin movie. Yeah. Um, looked good. It looks good. It looks to me like somebody sat was sitting and thinking... What if Travis Bickle was righteous yeah. and uh, a and got a reputation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what it looks like to me. Um, it it looks you know, Joaquin Phoenix is a good, solid actor. Yeah. I think that this, uh, uh, I'm kind of in. He's a, he's a taxi driver, but he is also a I don't know a, a muscle for hire kind of yeah. guy, and like you you hire him. He's kind of like the equalizer. You hire him to take care of shit that the law isn't going to take care of. Right, right, right. And there's and this is focusing on a particular case, and things don't go mm -hmm. the way that they're supposed to. Uh, and then finally, uh, they released a full trailer for Takashi Miyake's Blade of the Immortal. Right. And uh, I'm in. Yeah. I'm, I'm in because it's Takashi Miyake. I'm in because all I saw was... There's a scene where he in the trailer where he you see him kill someone and the camera pulls back and there's hundreds of people laying around him yeah, dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's incredibly violent. It's yeah. incre it, you know it's a samurai movie. It's very cool. It has a fantasy element without people flying through the air and all mm -hmm. that bullshit. He's cursed in some way that he he's can't immortal. Die. Yeah. yeah. So like. At one point, a limb gets lopped off, and he just puts it back on. And well, it's, it's you see the veins from his severed arm and the veins from the severed hand reaching out and intertwining and pulling yeah. themselves back together. Very almost Akira yeah. kind of looking. But yeah. Takashi Miyake. Takashi Miyake could shoot anything, and I'll watch it for yeah. 90 minutes. Um, so that's that. Uh, anything you see? You've been working a lot. Are, are you seeing anything good? I've, I have been working a lot that's true <laughs> um i actually had thought of something on the way over here today and now i can't can't remember it um i i've not watched anything new lately um like you say i've been incredibly busy uh, mm. work has me I'm, I'm training a lot in the daytimes and working at night times and there's the small gap in between where i sleep right so. okay uh, go to my website. There's, it's all there. I do want to mention there's a documentary. Um, on it's an interview with Takeshi Kitano, uh, French filmmaker did it. Um, I forget the name. I was gonna write the name down. God damn it, it's La Impressionable or something like that. I'm fucking that up. Um, but anyway, it's an interview with Takeshi Kitano, the Takeshi, and uh, that guy. He's another one. He's another one that you know. If I if on the 
if you're familiar with Dinner for Five, like who would you want to have dinner with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pizza case. Oh yeah, yeah, he's totally one of those guys. Um, I do have coming up uh, September 26th at the Pickford. I will be moderating a panel on zombies. Um, uh, we'll have some actors who play in the TV show uh, Z Nation. Oh, okay. And um, Elena and those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I'll be uh, I'll be kind of directing the conversation about zombies and cinema. Why? Anybody cares at this point? Yeah. <laughs> hey, don't! You're killing me. I'm hoping people care. I'm, I'm about people care. That's that's the thing is people care and uh, and that, I'm. Go ahead. Uh, well, and and I'm. That's why whenever something like it stains the sands red yeah. pops up, we're kind of like, oh, yeah. something different. I uh, I'm banking on it because I'm I'm doing I'm in the middle of a book right now on on zombies, and the entire thing, the thing that keeps plaguing me and I keep butting up against is they did it in The Walking Dead, they did it in The Walking Dead, yeah, yeah, and you yeah. got it. And now it's yeah, I'm I'm in that creative people know you're always got that point where you're like. This has a been a bad idea. I'm right there right now, so we'll see what happens. Um, speaking of zombies, I just um, guest of the show Ed Kurtz and said on his Facebook feed that yay, this book I'm in. They were they're, they're putting it out for like seven bucks. And so I got a book. It's with Ed Kurtz in it. It's got Scott Edelman, Joe Kenny, uh, McKenney, um, Jonathan Mayberry. It's edited by Steve Berman. It's called Zombies Shambling Through the Ages. I just read the first story, and what it is, it's, it's taking zombies through the ages. And the first story had to do with a caveman whose tribe had been invaded by these people. And uh, it's only a page and a half read, and god damn it was good. It was like, it was one of those things where I read a lot of zombie stuff, and this was where I was like, man, that's a that's a nice little spin cool. on that. Very cool. Uh, are you reading anything? Uh, no. <laughs> You're just working. No. Yeah. Uh, music. What are you into? What do you, what's got your what got what's got you going? Um, most recently, I'm, I'm listening to the same shit. Same I, I I have like 200 songs on my playlist, <laughs> and then I and I hear them. Uh, over, over and over, over. and over. I, and, I, and I realized the other day because I. I I uh, I remember putting this playlist together and I was kind of thinking about it and this has been the same playlist I've been listening to for the last ten years. Nice. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I me I uh, uh I'm still on my David Lindley kick. I've actually decided I picked up a slide and I'm like going, how does this work? And that's kind of fun because it's so not how I've ever played. Sure. Uh, I will say this though. Um, I'm going to reiterate um and bring it all back. If you go to um, www.mercyground.com, that's where they sell all the Faith in the Muse stuff. And I really want to push where the land meets the sea. It's a great way to wet your feet um, on this, these guys. Yeah. Uh, and they're a band I really love. And uh, like I say, I did the I did the liner notes for it. And um, I really like, and and you guys touched on it briefly how cinematic the music mm. is and, and yeah again let's the can go to youtube and, and i actually it, okay so here's something it, it, it's one thing for us to say listen to this check it out if you don't know about it and nobody likes to do this but uh for people who have no fucking idea 
put a label on it or compare it to something. Faith and Muse? Yeah. Um, ethereal. Um, there's some Celtic influences. Uh-huh. Uh, the, some of the stuff William has written has been downright rocky. Uh, fair to say, if you like Dead Can Dance... Yeah. Yeah, okay. If you like Dead Can Dance, and I would throw in things like Graham Ravel's um, film scores... Sure, sure. Uh, they would probably bristle at this, but um, some of it is very uh, Lorena McKennett. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it... I, I don't want to say the word Enya, but I might. There was, okay, well, it's so not as schmaltzy as so Enya, there was a, but there it's was, got that same vibe. There was a, we were talking about that time in the 90s where a lot of this stuff was kind of colliding with each other. Mm-hmm. And you had stuff like Lorena McKenna. You had stuff like Enya. You had stuff like Enigma. Yeah. Um, you had stuff like, I mean, for God's sakes, one of the best-selling albums of that one particular year was... Uh, Gregorian chants over sure. like some cool beat, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and this is kind of of that era. I'm sitting here thinking like, um, on one of their records they do a, a, the song, the main song from uh, Phantom of the Paradise. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it reminds me that we didn't talk about Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> <laughs> right or that kind of stuff. Right. So we didn't talk about Graham Ravel's like uh, Crow score. Yeah, everybody talks about the Crow soundtrack with all these cool bands. The score is great. the score is amazing. Yeah, yeah. So clearly we got to come back for yeah, this, yeah, yeah. and either we'll we'll get William back or we'll get um somebody else or we'll just do it ourselves. We'll figure <laughs> it out. Um, <laughs> we got some cool shit coming up. I'm trying to remember. I think next week is uh we're, we're talking with uh. You wouldn't know. We did a splatterpunk episode. Uh, Craig Spector is part of was at one point part of Skip and Spector, and they sort of them and David Scow and kind of defined all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Craig's got a new project coming up about free speech. It's a, anthol- a horror anthology about free speech, um, and he's 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 very cool. Yeah. Your guys are gonna love him. All right, all right, we're I'm, good. I'm, I I have to admit. Uh, We've done a couple of these over the last, uh, however long we've been doing this, couple of years. Um, and uh, there are certain people who get really excited whenever we do one. We're going to have a puppet show coming up, or a, 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 a filmmaker talking. Oh, about, yeah, 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 about puppets. Yeah, and it's going to be yeah. badass. we got a lot of cool stuff we coming up. we have a lot of shit. Um, everything from pup- the puppet makers to, uh, we're going to talk comics. Yeah, I got a comic owner, shop owner, local we're guy talk coming in. Comic stores. Yeah, and, and he's going to try to. I'm, we're going to try to justify the <laughs> the medium. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, spoiler: we also have one of the actresses from um, Dario Argento's Suspiria coming up. Right, which is cool because Suspiria is out there. Uh, yeah, in, I, I in really want to hear form right now. And, and Bar- uh, her, her name is Barbara Magnolfi, and Barbara's great. I yeah. interviewed her once at um, a, a con, and. Um, uh, it was fun. So there's lots of stuff coming up. Please tell your friends, tell your enemies to give us a listen. If you can, like and subscribe to us on iTunes or give us some feedback. We're on Facebook. You can comment on my site where the show is posted. Um, we are in full-blown Bleeding Ham season right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting ready for the onslaught of Bleeding Ham even while I'm working on... I should be done with the first draft of the new book in the next week or so. And then I got a couple more, and then we're moving on to other stuff. So keep in, keep, keep tuned. Keep, blah, blah. Stay, Stay tuned. tuned. <laughs> uh, 
clearly we've been talking too long. Thanks. We want to thank you guys, man. Without without you guys, we would just be in this room talking to each other, and uh, it's it really helps us knowing that you're out there and, yeah. and that you guys uh, are digging what we're so doing. So if you like something, tell us. Yeah. If you don't like something, tell us. Tell us. Yeah. Um, so for the Bonus Material Podcast, I'm Tom Carnell. I'm Langley West. Stay scary. <laughs>